Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, I don't understand. Recorded live. Yeah, I don't understand that. That's a bad look to the rest of the team. So, I mean, if, if I'm EJ Bibbs, I'm probably pissed if I get cut. Yeah. Well, they might be able to keep some more people because I, I think Duke Johnson's going to have to start the season on the uh, IR. Really? Well, let's do, let's I mean, he's on, got that but... concussion protocol. He's not playing in the next one. I mean, they they got RG3 out. You know what I mean? I, and they got, I forget how the NFL works. Cause it's, if, it, if, he, if he has to start in the I, if he has to go on a full IR, it's like you got to miss like four games or six games or some shit like that. Yeah. It's so I don't, game, I don't I think. think they're going to want to do that. But, right. I, I mean, I'm not trying to run a guy into the ground, man, but I knew this shit was going to happen. <laughs> that guy is just not – he's just – I mean, like – Every time, every time Miami looked like they were going to make a run with him and, like, beat somebody in the game, the dude would get hurt. And it's just one of those things, like, it's not, it's, the dude is dynamic, but he's just not He's fragile. Yeah, he's and fragile. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good thing for a running back. Not a good thing for anybody, but especially a running back. You know, and then we lose fucking Desir and Gaines with significant injuries. Gaines is a hamstring, which, I mean, it's not like you're looking for him to start week one. I mean, he can he can get back to week one status here with two weeks of rest. You know what I mean? Like, so. Let's hope uh, so. We, we need that. The concussion thing is, the concussion thing now in the NFL is so weird. It's. Well, it's all based on whether you've had a history of them. You know, if it's your first one, then, you know, that's your baseline. The protocol, I think, gets more in-depth the more you get. Okay. How do we sound in order? Pretty good. Okay. It is what it is. 
This is with an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and IMB, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to see us. College football is back. This is our huge NCAA preview podcast. Uh, this year we were not with uh, Rock and 2K, but you got us, me and Jake in. That's pretty much enough. Uh, we we love the two of each other, the other two, but uh, we we got enough to break it down for you and get you ready for the big season of college football. We work um, hard for you people. We should be plenty. <laughs> we we will be breaking down each conference, um, giving you the team that we think in the conference and a dark horse team. Talk about some Heisman hopefuls, and then we'll look through the top conf- uh, top matchups in each conference. Um, and at the end, of course, we'll give you our final four and our championship predictions. Uh, and remember, the name of the show is With an Ohio Bias. <laughs> uh, Jake, let's get started. We we want to we start this podcast just to talk about some of the brief issues in college football. Uh, one, one of the teams at the Ohio State Buckeyes will start off with on Labor Day, the Virginia Tech Hokies and also the Cincinnati Bearcats are finding players. Uh, for attendance issues, or if you're late or you miss a practice or you miss something football-related, um, you're possible to find to your newly allotted attendance money, which, I mean, I, I think, you know, this might be mo- one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of for an amateur student-athlete who doesn't have the right to unionize as ruled by the court in that Northwestern case. So uh, Bud Foster and Frank Beamer, uh, Tommy Tuberville down with the Cincinnati Bearcats, I don't understand what you're trying to do. Any other coach that thinks that's okay, uh, it's just not a good look for your program and for what you're doing against these students. No, I can't imagine when they, this idea came up how this got greenlit and how this was, they thought this wasn't going to get out. And when it gets out, it, if nothing else, it's a detriment to recruiting. What college kid is going to want to go there knowing that if they screw up one little time and they sleep in, these are college kids. They they skip classes uh, to watch Bruce Lee stuff. You know, it, it's to, to, to find these kids with their first stipends that, they, that they've been given to help with the cost of living and then not allow them to unionize. I mean, I think we're seeing a big – big part of the problem of if they did unionize. If they did unionize, I wonder, you know, at what point are they are they responsible for fines like this? Um, so it, until they are, it's not a conversation that anybody should be having and it's you know, a pretty scummy thing for those programs to do. It's hilarious to me because a lot's been made about college football being a nonprofit, not having to pay taxes on all the money generated uh, by the sport. So for them now to find amateur student athletes who are considered not employees, I mean, this is the biggest uh, hypocrisy, you know, known to man. And I mean, we've talked about it. We think players should get paid some way or, or form. And for them to actually get a little bit of extra money to actually handle things. And now that being taken away or that being used as a, a consequence or a, a punishment by coaches is just ridiculous. That coaches who, uh, I mean, I, I have to point to it, and I was going to talk about it later, but like it's Steve Sarkeesian who can, you know, pretty much go old school style, get drunk on the mic, and then not suffer any punishment uh, besides what the players choose for him 
um, is ridiculous. So we're seeing like one of the hugest double standards in, in, in sports, and uh, it, it, I, I think it's one of these things that'll take a long time to fix, but it will get fixed at some point. But there's a lot of athletes suffering in the process. Um, we talk about athletes suffering in the process. We got to talk about the situation in Illinois and Champaign. Uh, former Ohio State assistant Tim Beckman ousted as coach because of his treatment of players when it comes to reporting their medical injuries uh, and then also to uh, reporting their injuries to the medical staff and then also to uh, some issues about uh, recruiting. I just lost it. I told you. I forgot to say I did. But Tim Beckman no longer with the Illini, with the Fighting Illini, uh, fired, and it shook up the at least the Big Ten world a little bit in the college football world. Uh, but some of us saw this one coming from a long way. You know, and to me, this is a bigger problem than what uh, Cincinnati and Virginia Tech are doing. To ask these kids to play injured, and then it, you look at what happens to a lot of these kids after college, it, it, they're not all going pro, you know, and they've got to deal with the consequences of these injuries the rest of their lives. And guess what? The school's not picking up the medical bill long term. So, you know, we, we talk about unionizing and, and, and that sort of thing. This is one of the biggest reasons I think they need to be able to unionize is because after college, these kids come out of there with some major injuries, and it's at, some, at some point, some of them are debilitating, and these universities kind of turn their backs on them after they've made their money off of them. So uh, to, to ask, ask kids to go out there and play injured, uh, it, to, to try to save your job is despicable. Yeah, and this was two years in the making. We talked about this a little bit off air. Um, you know, and what the AD at uh, in Champaign is asleep at the wheel because that guy needs to get fired too for letting this go on as long as it did. You think about the situation that happened down in Texas Tech with Mike Leach and Craig James' son uh, putting him in a room with a concussion. I mean, you cannot – the health of your student-athletes, and this is the whole thing, if they're not employees, if they're, if they're student-athletes, the health of these young men comes first. We know football is a violent game, but – just but if somebody gets hurt, you can't, you know, like you said, you can't ask them to put their life on the line or their longevity, uh, their health, the, the longevity of their health on the line when it comes to their, you know, pursuit of life, liberty, you know, uh, their their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's just a very bad look. And Illinois, I mean, the timing looks terrible because it feels like their hand was forced that they waited this long in the, in, right before the college football season. And, you know, note to the NCAA, do the right thing and take care of these kids' medical bills to play football and other, and other sports for your school. You know, it's the least you could do with all that money is to make sure that the, the student-athletes are taken care of medically after they've laid their, their asses on the line for you for four years. Uh, you know, it's not like everybody's there to go pro. And there are a lot of sports where a lot of people get hurt, and when they leave the school, a lot of these schools just completely abandon them. Uh, I was watching this, uh, I don't know if it was Real Sports or one of those shows, uh, but there was a kid that could barely get out of the chair, barely move around, and had to go back to the university 
for medical or for or for uh, doctors visits and, and checkups. And it was at the school he played for, and they weren't covering the cost. So I mean, it, it's just it's one of those things that that needs to be taken care of and shouldn't have to be fought for through the courts to get done. Well, I can't say any more about that. We will be coming back talking who is the unanimous number one in the polls. I think you know, but we will be back here right on the other side of this break. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and J. All right, Jake. No surprise to me and you, but maybe to the people out there in the college football world, uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, the first ever undisputed national champions, are the first time unanimous preseason number one pick, um, rounding out the top four, TCU Alabama and Baylor University. But it feels good to finally hear people echoing the sentiments that we said all last year. Yeah, it feels good and it makes me nervous yeah, at the same time. Uh, it, it was it, it, our our motto was that guy with the sweatshirt that said Ohio against the world, and now it seems like it's the world for Ohio State. So it, that that at the very least makes me nervous. I said all along, Ohio State's number one uh, opponent this year is is motivation in themselves, and can can they keep that edge? It's so much harder to stay at the top of the mountain than it is to fight to get there. Uh, there's not going to be that extra chip on your shoulder that everybody's overlooking you. So, uh, you know, we know what a great motivator Urban Meyer is, but this is the ultimate test of Urban Meyer's motivational skills. And I think one of those things we know about the suspensions uh, already, uh, Jalen Marshall, Don Trey Wilson, Corey Thomas, and, of course, Joey Bosa. And then there was another incident with Joey Bosa. Uh, you know, it, it's one of these things I think he might have one foot out the door. Everybody knows Joey Bosa is a top five, you know, NFL draft pick. Uh, now he's not playing against Virginia Tech. I think he's a little frustrated with the current situation. And like you said, that that's the biggest thing, looking in the mirror, uh, knowing where you're at, trying to get better, and then also, you know, keeping your eye on the prize. I mean, Everybody wants you to win another national championship, but you can't just walk, you can't, you know, go through the motions on your way to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think to me, the the number one thing I'm looking forward to this year, and it's not a lot, it's not unlike a lot of years. It's that last weekend in November. Uh, but this year's got a little extra something for it, a little special feeling because we have a new, coach up at that school up north and khakis and all i hope that this that they stick around both urban and jim harbaugh long enough that we can get back to that point in ohio state michigan lore where they're going back and forth and it is a legitimate renewal of the 10-year war well that's the best thing we look at the other uh four teams in the top eight uh there's another team up north the michigan state spartans at number five uh, we go down south, number six, with the Auburn Tigers, number seven, back out to the Pacific Northwest, 
Oregon, and then down the Pacific Coast. And number eight, the USC Trojans round out the top eight. Um, I want to look at the bottom four of the AP, and we'll have this up when we make this post for the podcast. But uh, finishing up uh, the last five spots, the Stanford Cardinal, the Arizona Wildcats, um, the Boise State Broncos, and the Missouri Tigers, and the Tennessee Volunteers in the top 25. So your, your thoughts just on the top 25. I mean, I, we're, we're going to start breaking it down, but um, anything that, you know, that stands out to you? I know you always love the ranking. You know what? I mean, for a preseason top 25, I think they got it about as right as they can get it. Um, I, I don't have, I really don't have an issue with anything that they've put out there based on what's expected this season. Um, I, I think Oklahoma is a little better team than uh, people are given credit for. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's a long season. Um, I mean, Ohio State's number one, and the rest are kind of it's all kind of arbitrary in the top five i think alabama might be ranked a little too high with their question marks uh at quarterback baylor you know they have the question at quarterback but they're more of a plug-and-play system and and their quarterbacks are going to put up the numbers no matter what and now that oregon settled on adams at quarterback uh i think they're right where they should be well, let's get into the independent conferences. And we start, of course, with everybody's favorite, uh, God bless you, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. What can Brian Kelly's team do this year? Uh, you look at them, they come in just outside of the preseason top 25, top 10, uh, just outside of the top 10 at number 11. Um, what are you looking at with the Notre Dame, with this schedule this year? Uh, can they fight their way into the college football playoff? Well, that's the problem. Is their schedule's brutal every year, but especially this year, um, they got to go to Clemson, which is going to be tough. Georgia Tech, the option always gives Notre Dame problems. Uh, at a very talented Pittsburgh team at Stanford at the end of the year, they play. They host USC. Temple's a very good team. Uh, so, I mean, there's really not a lot of soft spots this year uh, outside of. Maybe even Navy, another option team that gives them gives them trouble. So, um, yeah, I, I think Notre Dame's got their hands full, but I do like their team. I think they're very talented, especially defensively. Um, I think they've got some questions at running back that they got to figure out. Uh, I really like Malik Zaire. I think he's going to bring them a dynamic uh, with the run game, uh, being able to run the ball that Brian Kelly really hasn't had too much. Even Everett Bolston wasn't. I mean, he ran the ball, but he wasn't the threat that Zaire is going to be. So, yeah, I I like Notre Dame a lot, and I think they could surprise. It's just a matter of them being able to run through that gauntlet. Uh, I think the the big game for them is going to be USC at home coming off the Navy game because you're going to be changing from going from the triple option offense. We all know people's record of the week after Navy. Uh, So to have to play USC in that pro-style offense, that next week is going to be a real big trick for them. But if they get by them, then it's going to come down to that, that big game at Stanford uh, down on the farm on November 28th. So uh, high hopes for Notre Dame. Uh, I, I think that they are definitely a team to, to keep an eye on. i got some real problems with this program. Let's just start there. But I, let me use some facts to say why. 
One, um, their final eight games, they gave up 40 points on defense. Uh, you saw Everett Olsen just struggle after that, uh, the old pick pay call down in Tallahassee where they almost, you know, upset uh, the Florida State Seminoles. Um, but that defense was hurt by the fact that, you know, Jaron Jones went down uh, with the MCL. But let's talk about You talked about the depth at, at running back. They might get Kavari Russell back from suspension on the defensive side. That might help a little bit. But the other problem is that their running back is suspended because of academic. This this is like the number whatever player suspended because of some reason there at Notre Dame under Brian Kelly. Um, they, their defense was bad last year because of Jaron Jones was out with the NCL. This year they just lost Schmidt, uh, the linebacker, the, the middle linebacker on defense, so the defense is going to struggle again. Uh, they do have 10 of 11 players returning on offense, but like you said, Malik Zaire, quarterback, I don't trust him. And I don't trust Brian Kelly's, you know, judgment at this point. At some point, you got to look at the way this guy is running this team and the issues that they're having off the field, and then the way that it translates to the fact that they never have a full team, full complement of the talent that they're supposed to have on the field. Um, you went through the schedule. I think there's no way that Notre Dame cannot even get to eight wins. Um, it's going to be a struggle. The, the games, the teams that they play are just too well coached and too well disciplined, and that's going to be the biggest problem for the Fighting Irish. Yeah, it's always a struggle. There's, we all know there's a different standard and a higher standard academically at Notre Dame than there are a lot of other teams. So uh, I, I'll give Brian Kelly a little slack on that. Um, but uh, defensively, yeah, they, they're uh, they're they're going to be better defensively. And Notre Dame's problem last year was turning the ball over. Um, they put their defense in bad situations all last year. Ever Goldstein was a turnover machine. So I, I think that's going to be, I mean, you can always say that that's a big key, but I, I really think the turnover margin for Notre Dame and taking care of the ball on the offensive side of the ball and how Zaire does that is going to be the make or break thing for, for the Fighting Irish. Well, we go from the Valley in Indiana all the way out to the the state with the mountains, the, the Salt Lake State. Uh, let's talk about BYU and the Cougars. One of the players that's most electrifying, and he will be up on our honorable mention of our top quarterbacks, our top five with bias quarterbacks in college football. Um, Taysom Hill, the BYU Cougars, what can they do this year in college football? Well, yeah, we go out to, to Provo, Utah. You've seen pictures. You know where that's at. Uh, Taysom Hill, uh, obviously, is the quarterback we're talking about, and he shredded his ACL last year. So it's going to early. It's going to be interesting to see what he has left. That they've got a brutal schedule too. I mean, all these independents do. When you don't have a conference to rely on, the, the schedule gets tough. Um, but uh, it, it's really going to, to me, going to come down to how well Taysom Hill uh, can rebound from the ACL surgery. If they can score some points. They're going to be in a lot of games. Their defense isn't as good as years past, but they do get Bronco Mendenhall back calling the plays defensively, so I think that will help. Um, I, I think BYU's, you know, they're a threat every week to whoever they play. Uh, are they going to win eight games? Are they going to win six games? It's going to come down to a few plays here or there. Uh, like I said, they got a brutal schedule too, so it, it's, they're going to be playing some some spoiler role, I think, at this, at this year. 
Well, I'm real high on BYU. Their schedule is tough, but it's front-loaded. Uh, so, like you said, the, Taysom Hill, I mean, we saw him go down that Utah State game last year. But I, I think he – everything that's said, he's 100% back. So, um, And I think, you know, he is the unequivocal leader of that team, and he's one of the most electrifying players in college football. One of the things hurting them, though, Jamal Williams, the senior running back, went out with a shoulder injury, and he's out for the season. So that sucks because they don't have that one-two punch in his running mate. So you don't have Batman and Robin out there for in Provo. So that's a real problem. They open up with Nebraska, then Boise State, UCLA, Michigan. Um, that's a, that's, that's a, a hell of a call. That's, that's a, a grinder. grinder. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's why I say it's front-loaded, you know. Um, but they finish up the year. Uh, the biggest game they have, they have San Jose State, Missouri, Fresno State, and Utah State. So we know that Utah State for the Battle of Utah there, you know, is a big one. But um, if they can somehow go two and two, or even go three and one, which will be a huge pull, I think they, like you said, spoiler, they're going to mess up somebody. I'll tell you one thing: they will win uh, when they go to Ann Arbor. I will say that one on the, that will be one thing there. So uh, get ready for the tears on your khakis. But um, I think they can win in Nebraska with them having a new coach. The Boise State game is going to be a tough one, even though they get them at home in Provo and uh, at UCLA. I think it's going to be a tough one, too. And keep an eye out for that Cincinnati game at home on a Friday night on national TV. That's going to be a really good one with two real good quarterbacks. Well, we're going to start – we're going to go to the Atlantic Coast Conference. Uh, we know the defending champs, the Florida State Seminoles, um, have, you know, are, pro, are, are poised for trying to go for a three-peat here. But uh, there's some other teams in there that are eyeing that championship. And uh, we start with the Seminoles, Jimbo Fisher. We know the off-the-season issues, uh, off-the-field issues. Uh, Dalvin Cook seems like the situation has been that he didn't do what he was alleged of, so he will return to the team. But they still have questions at quarterback, and we've talked about Everett Golson and the turnovers you got in Notre Dame. He's fighting for the job down there in Florida State with Sean McGuire. What's your outlook for the Seminoles as they try to three-peat in the ACC? Well, I think this is obviously Jimbo Fisher's toughest job uh, as Florida State coach. We're going to see how good of a quarterbacks coach he he is because uh, you know Brian Kelly, if nothing else, is known for build, for for building quarterbacks, and Everett Golston failed miserably with him. So maybe a change of scenery helps. Uh, I, I'm not a huge on McGuire. I think he's average. So it, it, for me, it's for Florida State. It's going to come down to their quarterback play. If they get good quarterback play, they're going to be right there. If they don't, and they got a bunch of turnovers, then Florida State's just going to be another team. I think you're on mute. I think they're thanks. I think their schedule to me gives them the first two weeks to get whoever their quarterback's going to be in rhythm. I mean, they start with Texas State and uh, USF. You know, those those are two weeks where that quarterback, whoever, if it's Golson or McGuire, they can find their way. You know, it's hard. They won 27 games, lost one in the last two years, and they probably sent the most talent of any program in the last two years to the NFL. So. You know, they, they've had a huge talent drain. Yeah, they, they play in the state of Florida, and they are one of the top programs down there. But, I mean, it's just hard to replace that talent. And have those guys coached up. Um, Jimbo Fisher has done a great job with it. Uh, I mean, you, you worry about the discipline through that program because of all the off-the-field issues. But 
I, I see them being the Florida State that we know. The biggest game to me, I mean, they got the battle with Miami. Um, I think that Georgia Tech will be a, 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 a tough game for them, and then the game at Death Valley. But you get by those, those are the three biggest games. Uh, Florida State looks like they're going to make their way back to the championship game once again for the ACC. I think the biggest question mark for them is the, I mean, besides the quarterback, is that offensive line. Uh, obviously, we know that they have talent running the ball, but are, is that offensive line going to be able to open up the holes, and is it going to give that quarterback enough time to not make that decision and throw the ball into traffic? So we'll, we'll see how, how that shakes out. But obviously, Florida State, with that talent, is a threat in the ACC. Yeah, and they go to Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech is one of the teams that I'm hoping does the impossible. Um, I always like Paul Johnson, that program down there. You talk about the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and their outlook in the ACC this year. Um, they get the returning quarterback, Justin Thomas, uh, and they have uh, Michael Summers now stepping into that Calvin Johnson uh, role there on the triple option as the wide receiver as a big target. So, the problem with them, we talked about that. They they have all their tough games on the road. I mean, uh, they have to play Notre Dame, Georgia, Clemson. But I still like the Georgia Yellow Jackets. You talked about uh, Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. You talked about some teams playing spoiler. I think Georgia Tech will be the, one of the biggest spoilers in college football. So look out for the Yellow Jackets to sting some of these teams. I agree. I, I, Georgia Tech is people problems when they've got an average roster with the with the way Paul Johnson has that team, you know, just completely well-oiled. Um, now with Paul Johnson, I, I think it's going to be really big to, to see a wide receiver emerge uh, from the Yellow Jackets. Uh, we know what Paul Johnson can do with his legs, or Justin Thomas can do with his legs, um, and, and we know he can throw the ball as well. So we just it just needs to find a consistent receiver to go to uh, I think is going to be a big help for them. You're on mute. Hello, D. Hello. Uh, uh, Last thing I said was uh, I think the important thing for Georgia Tech is to find a wide receiver to establish with Justin Thomas. We know he can run the ball. We know he can throw throw the ball. Just who's he going to throw it to? 
Well, the big matchup with Georgia Tech that I always look to, and you know I will be talking about them in depth on this on this NCAA preview show, is the end of the year against Georgia. That battle for the city of uh, for the state of Georgia is always a good one. Um, and I think when Tim I knows. say spoiler, I, when I say spoiler, I think you know you looked at you looked at the game with Clemson Notre Dame. I mean. Georgia Tech's going to get somebody. They're going to get somebody. But if they can string together enough wins, they got a brutal schedule. Um, they can swing and put together enough wins to actually get themselves into the ACC championship game. Uh, we're going to go fast here on a couple teams, but we will stop. We, we'll, we'll look at Miami and NC State because I think they're a little similar. Um, Miami with Brad Pye, I think it's a make-or-break year for Al Golden down there in his fifth year. One of my problems with Al Golden is, though, he's been recruiting small players like he's still at Temple. The guy's got to get—he's got the pipeline there in Florida. You got to take the guys with the size and the speed, the combination, and build up that Miami team. Yeah, I agree. This is a, definitely a make-or-break year for Al Golden. Uh, he's got the quarterback he needs to to do some damage with, and it's now just a matter of put up or shut up time for Miami. We look at NC State, they're going to catch somebody slipping. Somebody's coming in the Raleigh, uh, the Carter-Friendly Stadium. I, I, you know, I don't know if it's going to be Clemson. You know, I, you know, they go on the road at Vitek and at Florida State. But uh, Jacoby Brissett, one of the best passers, one of the best quarterbacks in college football, uh, I think he's going to have a, a, a game where he catches somebody, uh, you know, slipping, and they will play spoiler. The Wolfpack will get a bite on someone. Yeah, again, uh, agreement there. I think NC State's an underrated team, and some people better keep an eye out for them. Well, you know what they say. Don't turn your back on the Wolfpack. <laughs> oh. So we will probably break down this team a little bit more because they will be playing Ohio State on Labor Day. But Biotech, uh, we look at their schedule beyond the Buckeyes. Uh you know, they, they got East Carolina. They're on the road against Miami, B.C., Georgia Tech, and Virginia, Flat Battle of Virginia. Um, it's all going to depend on how they bounce back, in my opinion, after the smackdown, the funeral that will be in Blacksburg at the Buckeyes. Well, I mean, I hope you're right. I, I, I'm just really concerned with all the all the missing pieces for Ohio State and how good this defense is for Virginia Tech and the confidence that they gained last year by beating Ohio State at the shoe. Uh, if let's just hope that they can't score points because that's going to be their problem all year is scoring points. Um, if if they're able to score, uh, this defense is is world-class, and uh, they're they're going to have a chance to win a lot of games. They lost a lot on defense. They bring back Michael Brewer and Ed Malik, the quarterback type in tandem to help beat the Buckeyes. Um, here's the thing. You talked about the momentum they had after beating the Buckeyes, but remember, they got upset by East Carolina, you know, I think it was two weeks after that win, you know, in Columbus. So I don't know. if it, it, To me, it's more about Frank Beamer taking that sustained energy that they used to beat the Buckeyes and spreading it out over the whole season because the the way that they fell off, you know, we were rooting for them basically all year because we needed them to stick up, stay up in the, uh, in the polls to help the Buckeyes get back up, and they were awful. So I think they lost five games in the middle of the season, and that was just, you know, to me, unacceptable if I was a Vitek fan. But, you know, you know, 
Hokies are small birds, and so are their fans. So you know we don't root for them that much. Um, we look at your we look at your team, who's going to be kicking off the college football uh, season with a huge game. The Louisville Cardinals, Bobby Vitrino, they go and play Auburn at a neutral site. What's your thoughts on what Louisville can do this year in ACC? Yeah, they, again, another tough schedule. Uh, having to go to Auburn in week one. Uh, Petrino, I, I don't think it stands much of a chance there. Um, the, you know, they, they bring back an experienced quarterback and they bring back Bobby Petrino. Um, I, I, I expect, you know, Louisville to have a typical Louisville year, score a lot of points, be in a lot of games, and probably lose three or four games. Yeah, I agree. I think they're still, you know, two years away from Bobby Petrino being able to stack that, you know, both offensive and defensively, but with some fast players the way he likes to. I mean, he's almost like uh, – I'll tell you this. I just this literally just hit my mind. If Al Davis would have still been with us when Bobby Petrino was at his heyday, I could have seen Al Davis beating Bobby Petrino to the Oakland Raiders because they love speed and those big receivers. So, um, I, yeah, I, I think he's a couple years away from getting that Louisville program up. But they could snap up and the Cardinals could text somebody's opportunity uh, chances out for, you know, finishing in the ACC. What do we and look that, at? One, uh, I was just going to say, then two weeks later when things got tough, Petrino would have left a note and quit. <laughs> we look at the team on Tobacco Road real quick. They have been in the mix for the ACC championship the last two years, and of course, that's the Fighting Cutcliffs, the Duke Blue Devils. Um, any thoughts on what they can do? They've got, you know, uh, a decent running back, and always the defense has tried to keep them in games. But ACC is fighting their way back through the ACC again to get the championship. Well, I thought when you said Tobacco Road, you were going with the Tar Heels. Uh, I really like Marquise Williams and what uh, Larry Fedora has got going on there. I think. Larry Fedora teams are, are generally uh, a little sloppy. Um, maybe the not most not are not the most disciplined teams in the world, but they definitely have some talent this year. And as far as Duke goes, you know, it seems like every year we, we underrate Duke and what they have. And I, I think this year is no different. Cutcliffe's going to do a good job. They're a very well coached team. They're going to get the most out of their talent but they're not going to challenge for any national titles or major bowls. But uh, I expect them to be bowl eligible at the end of the year and have a nice season. Yeah, I think, you know, the Battle of North Carolina, uh, well, one of the big things is we get to see North Carolina kick off the season. They're the first game of the season going up against the old ball coach in South Carolina. I will say this, North Carolina always has advantage against any other program in the country. They don't have to go to class. So, I mean, when you have players that can do that, I mean, like, you know, your football program always has an advantage. Um, I, I look at I look at Duke, and I just, like you said, they're always underrated. You never think that they're that good. But I'm telling you like this, and we'll probably get him on too, but you, I know you like them. They're, they're a team that you can always count on maybe in a parlay uh, in the middle of the season to uh, jump up and beat somebody. So don't never count out the Blue Devils uh, when we're talking football as well. We now go down to South Carolina and uh, Death Valley, Davo Sweeney, and the Clemson Tigers. Uh, we all know it starts and ends 
with that quarterback position with Deshaun Watson and his health. He missed, you know, their biggest game last year with a broken hand. But uh, I think the Clemson Tigers are on the verge of a breakout year here. Yeah, and it seems like they're flying under the radar a little bit. I don't hear too much national talk about Clemson. Um, you, you look at their schedule, and it, it's not the worst thing in the world for once we're saying that. Uh, they get Notre Dame at home. Obviously, that's a tough out-of-conference game, but it's in Death Valley. They get Georgia Tech at home, another tough team, but it's at home. Um, they get Florida State at home. They they have a really tough stretch, though, where they go Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Boston College, Miami, at Miami, at NC State, Florida State. But it, it's a doable schedule in the ACC. Um, so I, I really think Clemson's a sleepy team that uh, could end up stealing this thing. Yeah, I, I like Clemson as well. Uh, you know, one of the problems you have with Clemson, though, they lose a lot on defense. Uh, their front four, I mean, Vic Beasley, of course, went to ACL, but then they kicked Ebenezer. Uh... Scrooge. Oh, they keep they keep <laughs> they kick Ebenezer <laughs> Ogundico off the team. You know, so that that is going to depend on what the depth looks like down there for the Tigers and. When we talk about depth, it goes to that back to that quarterback position. Um, Dabo Sweeney's done a good job, even if, if it's, you know, kicking his players off of social media during the season. Uh, you know, the guy, you know, has that program headed in the right direction. But to me, this is a year where the ACC is, for, is wide open for them, Georgia Tech, one of these other teams to step up and not uh, dethrone the Florida State Seminoles. Um, so I, I do think the Tigers, and I'm a big fan of Deshaun Watson, it's just, keeping him healthy, and that goes to that offensive line play. That offensive line has to be better for Clemson Tigers if they got any chance to really make a run. And, and one last sleepy team I want to mention is Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, we we make fun of Pat Narduzzi for inventing every bit of every defense in the world. Uh, but he's got some – <laughs> You can't play defense like I play defense. But uh, Pittsburgh's got some interesting pieces coming back in uh, their quarterback and, and running back wide receiver tandem. And we know Narduzzi. I know they, their big question mark is going to be defensively, but that's Pat Narduzzi's specialty. So we'll, we'll see if his defense translates to the ACC like it did at the Big Ten. And uh, hopefully nobody will steal it this year. They do have one of the best running backs in the country. I uh, James Conner. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, James Conner, one of the best running backs in the country. So, I mean, if Pat Narduzzi is this, you know, is the uh, is the alpha and omega when it comes to defensive football, he can definitely run the ball down people's strokes. And uh, Pittsburgh, like you said, they might shock the world. And uh, definitely, uh, I like that term, playing spoiler. You know, they might catch some teams sleeping, you know, with James Conner in that defense. And then uh, apologies to all you BC, Syracuse, Wake Forest, and Virginia people. Uh, sorry, Wahoos, we're not really going to talk about you. Get better. They do need to get better. They need to find – like one of the things that you're going to hear me bang the drum against, find a quarterback and then call me about your football program. I don't want to hear anything. And I know it sounds like real. we're talking down to you because Ohio State had three and we made one guy move to wide receiver, but – yeah, recruit we a quarterback, are. man. I mean, like, <laughs> we are. Recruit a quarterback. You want to be in big boy football, big business, 
recruit a quarterback. It's not hard. There's kids throwing all over the country out here. You know, literally, the Elite 11 quarterback camp. Go there. It's so funny watching those quarterback camps and things like that, and it's like these kids are unsigned, and then I see a team coming to a season, and they're like, yeah, we're still looking at our quarterback battle. And we're eight days from the start of the season. How is that even possible? So, you know, but I digress. With that, we'll be coming back talking about the Pac-12. We'll go from the Atlantic Coast to the Pacific Coast. This is with an Ohio bias. No fans with D and J. Let's let's do a quick uh, prediction for the ACC. Let's let's do one oh, for each bad. conference. Yeah, my my ACC prediction is uh, Georgia Tech will face Florida State again. Uh, Clemson will somehow get snake bit and not be able to finish out. And I think uh, Georgia Tech, if they can come out healthy in that Georgia game and get to the ACC championship will make their way out of the ACC. And I'm going to take Clemson out of the Atlantic Division, and I, you have agreement with Georgia Tech. I, I think that they've got the, the talent now uh, to go with the coaching style and the schemes that Paul Johnson does to, to make an impact. I think Georgia Tech wins the ACC, and I think the ACC is shut out of the college football playoffs this year. That part I do agree with you. I didn't want to spoil my uh, top four college football uh, final. So, uh, but yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there. There we go. All right. All right, Jake, put your surfboard down because we got to talk about the football out here in the Pac-12. it starts and ends with the team that was the runner-up to the first-ever undisputed national champions, the Ohio State Buckeyes, the Oregon Ducks. You talked about them earlier. Vernon Adams, Jr., the graduate transfer, comes in, wins the quarterback battle there in Eugene over senior Jeff Lockie. What do you expect from the Ducks besides running past everybody? You know, I expect a lot of the same stuff, uh, really. It's going to be how quickly can Adams assimilate himself to this this team uh, and, and running this style. Uh, we know they get Eastern Washington, his old team, in the first week, so that, uh, that definitely should help. Um, but I think overall, Oregon, they're going to get healthy again. I mean, you got to remember for everything that Ohio State – did last year. The Ducks were pretty banged up when they finally did face the Buckeyes. Uh, and, you know, not going to make any excuses for them. But uh, they're, they're going to be a very dangerous team in, in the Pac-12 again. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, people don't realize the Pac-12 is a, a very uh, hard-hitting conference. So the Oregon Ducks, you know, they had some tough games last year, some very physical games. You think about the Stanford Cardinal. You think about Forks up down there with the Sun Devils the Wildcats down there with Scooby, Scooby-Doo, right? You know, I mean, we've got some hard-hitting guys out there in the Pac-12, and I think that was one of the things that, you know, Oregon wore down a little bit, um, and I think they'll address those concerns in the offseason. You talk about Vernon Adams in those first two games, Eastern Washington and then going into East Lansing. Uh, emotional game in Eastern Washington, I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, he might get jeered. I don't know if he'll get jeered, but, and that's got to mess with him a little bit, Psyche. And he might be looking ahead, you know, and that might cause him not to be able to develop fast enough in that Oregon system. Uh, Michigan State, you know one thing and you know one thing only. 
Mark D'Antonio will have the Spartans ready to play. I mean, and that has been the most consistent thing, I think, in the last five years in college football, that the Michigan State Spartans have always been ready for any matchup they come up against, and they are going to want to get some get back against the Ducks that September 12th in East Lansing. And early prediction, that happens. I think Michigan State takes out the Ducks this year in East Lansing. I think Vernon Adams, you know, like you said, coming off that emotional game against Eastern Washington and then having to come right into East Lansing is a hornet's nest for him. Uh, so look for Michigan State to get some turnovers and win that ball game in East Lansing. Uh, we'll talk about Sparty a little bit more in the Big Ten preview, but I'm very high on uh, Michigan State this year. Yeah, I, I am as well. And you talk about turnovers. That was a big key, even against Florida State and also that game last year against Michigan State. Kind of cooked through those two interceptions in the second half. I mean, uh, and we saw what Jameis Winston and that Florida State team did. Oregon, they they strive off of turnovers. So if that defense, like you said, if they can get turnovers this year, which they've done every year, they can get that offense back on the field. And that, you know, we love the term quick strike, but that's what Oregon does. Then they get that offense rolling and they score in 50 seconds. So it's going to be interesting to see if Adams can catch that timing with them. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to jump around, but we got to start with the situation down with the Trojans in Los Angeles. And uh, has Steve Sarkeesian, uh, enjoyed himself a little too much down there in L.A. It was like the guy stumbled out of the Viper room and right into the uh, the Trojans' dinner uh, and grabbed Mike. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking, but uh, even, you know, Paulie Shore and Brett Michaels don't even act like that anymore. So, Yeah, Sark got himself in a little bit of hot water, you know, and then the team punishment was up and down. I would have rather the team had made him run the stairs of the Coliseum in the U.S. Trojan uh, mascot uniform. I think that would have been a more appropriate punishment, a little bit of embarrassment to go with uh, with what he did. But uh, it really, it's it's something that they got to figure out. He says he's going to go to treatment and find out if he's got a problem. You know, and I, I just, it's going to be really tough if he does have a problem and to get help for that problem and coach USC football. Uh, so it's it's going to be a daunting task. Uh, the distractions are great now, and that really causes me some concern for a very talented USC team. Yeah, very talented USC team. I'm going to get to the football in a second. I'm not going to knock anybody that's got a problem. I will knock this program. You know, ever since Pete Carroll left in the middle of the night to go to the Seahawks, you know, underneath the allegations and the NCAA violations, this team has constantly went in the wrong direction. They had a chance to take this program in the right direction and keep Coach Ed Ogeron and uh, the general, you know, uh, Mike Patton at everymanmansblogspot.com wrote a great uh, piece that we put up on the WAOB Facebook page, you know, talking about all the things that have happened. If you think about last year, Josh Shaw and uh, what happened, I mean, there's always something, like you said, distractions with the USC Trojans. We can never just talk about the football team. And, that's got to fall back on Pat Hayden, who wants to come down and yell at refs in the middle of games. You know, like so at some point, you know, somebody's got to take some accountability out there for the Trojans program. But, you know, once again, they passed the book, and we'll talk about passing. You'll get back to football. Cody Kessler, okay, he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football, looking at, you know, moving on to the next level in the NFL. One of my problems with this guy, I think he's fool's though. Last year, you know, he put up incredible numbers, 40-plus touchdowns, but in the games that mattered against ranked opponents, their four ranked opponents, 
the guy only had five touchdowns, and I believe it was something like four of his, you know, six interceptions. So, and that was for the whole season. So when it comes, when the, you know, when the game's on the line and they're in, underneath the lights against a, a, a valued opponent, you know, this guy, you know, folds a little bit. He has a huge receiver and Juju Smith as well too. You always know for, uh, you always know USC is going to have a great receiver, but you know, this program. I mean, with the Sark situation, this the distractions, it's a lot to put on them, and they've got a tough conference. If we talk about we're going to get to these guys in a second, UCLA, Arizona State, Stanford, I mean, these are some tough games. Oh, yeah, they got to play Notre Dame, and, uh, you know, it doesn't matter uh, how how much that these guys try to come together. They had a lot of preseason hype on them. They, in, the top, in the top eight in the, in the polls, I don't understand how USC gets to this gauntlet of a schedule and with all the distractions, um, I think this program will underachieve, and I think we see Sarkeesian on his way out. You know, I always liked Sark. Uh, you know, I, I didn't obviously know about these problems. I thought he was very relatable and a good recruiter and, and a guy that did really good things on offense. Um, and, and now we're talking about distraction on his way out, uh, which is definitely a possibility. Uh, this this team, though, we talk about the offense there. This team is built defensively. They are uh, they're a legit top defense in the in the Pac-12. Um, and you're right, the schedule is brutal. I, and you look at the end of their year at Oregon and at, and then UCLA at home. Uh, we said about Adams and adjusting and going into East Lansing. He's going to be adjusted by the time November 21st rolls around and USC comes into Eugene. And then, of course, having to go on, uh, come off of that game and then play your rival with UCLA, who in themselves are very stacked as well and uh, poised to make a run in uh, the in the Pac-12. Well, let's go on across, you know, another Los Angeles and talk about UCLA. Um, that game will be huge at the end of the season. One of the problems I got with UCLA and Jim Moore Jr. is they're now switching over to this whiz kid, uh, Josh Rosen, at quarterback. Um, Jared Neuheisen won that Texas game for them when it looked like they literally had choked it away last year. I don't understand what happened in camp. You know, I don't follow UCLA as much as I follow the Buckeyes, but Jared Neuheisen looked like, you know, the heir apparent out there, so – Josh Rosen is going to have to do a lot to impress me, and he's going to go up against a tough defense week one against Virginia. So if we see him shine, I think that'll be the showcase and the jumping-off part for the UCLA Bruins. And they can, they need to build some momentum. There then will be two weeks going against, you know, Taysom Hill and our guys at BYU, uh, Cougars, who we talked about already. So we're going to see them test it early and often. And then, oh, yeah, that next week they got to go to at Arizona, go to Arizona and see old Rich Rod down there. And then, oh, yeah, all they got is the Sun Devils coming in that next week. So they got a front-loaded schedule um, there, and then they get a bye week and see the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, we're going to know what UCLA has made of real early in this season. Well, you didn't even mention their last two games of the season. They finished uh, back-to-back road games at Utah, which is a snake pit, and then at USC, uh, which is going to be tough. So the good thing they got going for them outside the quarterback position is they got 18 returning starters coming back. So this team is loaded in experience. And, you know, Josh Rosen gets the start. I mean, he's the total package type quarterback. And I think basically what it is with Jerry Neuheisel is it's a lot like Connor Shaw. You know, he just does he's, – he's got all the intangibles in the world but just doesn't have the tools um, that, that this Rosen guy has. 
Not to say he's Connor not Shaw talented at all. Connor Shaw had two seasons where he won. Connor Shaw had two seasons where he won ten games. That ain't nothing to see yet. I, no, I think, I think the Bruins would be happy to get ten games this season. No, I'm not talking about Connor Shaw in, in college. I'm talking about the problem with uh, Connor Shaw being a pro quarterback is he's got all the intangibles but doesn't have the talent set to be a pro quarterback. Uh, same with Jerry Neuheisel. I think he has all the intangibles, but when you measure him up against this freshman Rosen, he just doesn't have the physical skills that he does. And if if Mora thinks that that's the way to go, you got a quarterback now that you're going to have for the next three years. So uh, it, it, it's, it, UCLA season is going to come down to the quarterback play uh, because we know that they've got talent in every other position uh, on the field. Well, we didn't talk earlier, but it seems like we're both on the court. We go down to Palo Alto, and I'm going to tell you this right now. Let's just put it on the board. I think Stanford's winning the Pac-12. I think Kevin Hogan is the reason. I think David Shaw has ingrained in these uh, student-athletes what they need to do there. Everybody does their job. They do it well, and I think the Stanford Cardinal is poised to take the Pac-12 and join the college football playoffs. Yeah, and you know what, I I think a lot of it has to do, they're playing in the north, and if Oregon takes a little bit of a step back, uh, you know, the other teams you're looking at in that conference are Cal, Washington, who's way down this year in rebuilding, Washington State, who, you know, they're Washington State, and then Oregon State, who Mike Riley left the cover bare for Gary Anderson. So really you're competing against Oregon to get a shot at the title, and, you know, Stanford's schedule relatively isn't as bad as a lot of these other teams. They get Oregon at home uh, this year. They get Cal at home. So it, it's a very, very doable uh, thing for them to get to that Pac-12 title game. And I think the winner of the Pac-12 will be in the final four in the come uh, late November and then in the games in January. Yeah, I think I think the thing that's favorable to them, they, they go to USC early in the third week, but they got two weeks to get their team ready, and that's why I think the preparation that they have going into these big games are the best thing with them. And then they have Arizona at home, and then they get a bye week, and then they get UCLA that Thursday night game. And so that's why I think that, that momentum will then propel Stanford to be able to finish this uh, season strong out there in the Pac-12. I think they make it to the Pac-12 championship game and win it once again. Uh, I'm just very high on Stanford. And it's because of the returning uh, quarterback, Kevin Hogan. One of the big things out there, if you haven't seen it, is this virtual reality system that was developed at Stanford University. Andrew Luck used it, and Kevin Hogan is using it. And it's the ability for them to get mental reps in this virtual reality uh, simulation where they can see every kind of defense that's possibly thrown. So they will be uh, head and shoulders prepared better than any, you know, offense out in, you know, the Pac-12, and I just I think that's going to make all the difference for them this year. All they have to do is stay healthy, which they've done a great job with the way they play so physical. I like Stanford a lot. The one interesting thing on their schedule is the non-conference game at the end of the year with Notre Dame. It won't mean anything towards playing in the Pac-12 title game, but if they were to stumble in that game, which is a possibility, and then win the Pac-12, that might be a, a way that the Pac-12 doesn't get a team in the Final Four this year. That's a great point. It could be the difference of them being five, six, or three or four uh, in those final rankings from the committee. Um, and, that, yeah, that's a, that's a great point there. 
let's go on down into the Valley of the Sun. Uh, we start with uh, the Arizona State Sun Devils. Get your forks up. Um, I like Arizona State. I know John Costas was huge on Mike uh, Bregovici last year. So, and you see the, the video of him throwing, getting some work in with his lovely girlfriend. But uh, I like the Sun Devils this year. That defense, they always play with their hair on fire. They do lose. Uh, they lost a huge playmaker, Jalen Strong, to the NFL. But I like what the Sun Devils are bringing this year. Just I don't know how far they can go with their schedule. Um, they have a huge matchup week one, and this is one. This is why I get so excited about college football because we get to see certain games early. So you got Mike Bregovici versus Kyle Allen, Texas A&M, Miles Garrett, John Chavis, the LSU defensive coordinator, now at Texas A&M. Uh, you, you're going to you're going to see what they're made of week one, and I mean this is one of the great matchups and great games to watch first week of college football. Yeah, he was a year early on Berkovici. Uh, I think he's the real deal, and he's going to be a breakout star this year. Uh, I, I I really think that Texas A&M game at the beginning of the year is huge as far as momentum and getting their season off right. Unfortunately, uh, in Houston, I, I just think Texas A&M is one of the better teams in the country that nobody's talking about. And We'll see what happens on that Saturday. But uh, Arizona State is a very solid team uh, here in the Pac-12. Yeah, and, I mean, I've got a huge respect for Todd Grantham and what he's done with that program. Um, you know, they don't get a lot of pub maybe on the West Coast, but I don't think over in this side of the country. Uh, you, if you want to watch an exciting college football game, tune in, watch Arizona State play what Ty Grantham does, and he brings the energy with the with the old wristband up high on the forearm. I mean, you'll see that guy pumping it all the way through. So it's just a great, great football atmosphere, great football to watch. We talk about another coach, you know, that's got a little bit of energy and, you know, he's got a little bit of venom as well. The Wildcats bear down with Rich Rod. What are you looking at? They start out with the Fighting Roadrunners, um, a little bit easier week one game than their uh, Arizona counterparts in the Sun Devils. Um, I'm big on a new Solomon. I know he struggled last year to take care of the ball a lot, but uh, and I'm also big on the linebacker, of course, Scooby Wright. I think they got the right mix. If Rich Rod can keep the handle on the wheel, which sometimes he gets them up for the big games, but we know that Pac-12 championship game, they look like dog meat. So, you know, it's one of those things, can they keep the momentum going once they get, you know, the, the engine revved all the way up? You know, I think it'll be a typical Rich Rod team. I think they'll be exciting. They'll uh, be up-tempo. But I think eventually they they fold in a game that they shouldn't fold. Uh, they they have some missteps. Uh, I, I just worry about the depth of that team. Uh, I, again, the system on offense is, is really the, the, the key. But Anu Solomon obviously has some serious potential as a sophomore. Um, I, I just... I don't know. I have a hard time feeling like Rich Rodriguez could be a serious national championship contender. Well, the problem with their schedule is their tough games are all back-to-back. So they got UCLA and Stanford back-to-back. Then at the end of that year, they finish with a gauntlet. Uh, They've got to play at USC, Utah, and Arizona State. Uh, And that's at Arizona State for that battle of Arizona, which will want to be, I mean, once again, tune into that game. It'll be one of the best of the year atmosphere and just college football games. But, uh, You've got to see they need Caleb Jones to break out, you know, and they need somebody also to step up at running back, you know, to uh, – oh, I can think of the guy had two names last year. They're running back. They were decent. 
Yeah, they got to they got to find a running back to replace, replace the Dean Carey. So yeah, it's one of those things you you want to see Jones Arizona. Brixby. Jones Brixby, that's right. Yeah, you want to see them find somebody that can replace the production of Jones Brixby, and I think that's going to be hard to do. So uh, he's almost he was like the Arizona version of Pocket Hercules out there. So uh, like what Rich Rod's doing with this program, I mean, you got to understand the Pac-12 has some very strong programs right now, and I think they're playing some of the best football in the country. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, they got Nick Wilson coming back at running back, and they've got some playmakers. That defense is really concerning. Outside the linebacker core, and especially Scooby Wright, who teams are going to be prepared for, and they're going to put two blockers on, uh, that secondary and that defensive line is average at best. Well, we go back up to the state. Put your skis, put your – Put your snow skis on. We're going back into Salt Lake City in Utah because the Utah Utes open up with the khakis. Hairball, get ready. Utah Utes are going to be playing Michigan first game of the season. Um, what's your outlook for this Utah Utes team that we know loses Nate Orchard on defense who was drafted by the Cleveland Browns? You know, I, I look at what – Utah usually does well, and that's play defense. Uh, they, they defensively, their, their defensive line is stacked. Uh, you mentioned they lose Nate Orchard, uh, but their their linebacking and secondary are still pretty good. They have one of the best special teams units every year in college football, and that's how you win close games. And the Utah Utes play a lot of close games, uh, so that that'll be a big difference maker. Uh, offensively, I mean, you got to obviously find somebody at quarterback. Uh, they have Kendall Thompson coming in, who's the Oklahoma transfer. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. Um, they're they're going to have to be able to run the ball. Uh, they get their leading rusher ba- rushers back in Devontae Booker, Travis Wilson. Uh, so they're going to have to lean heavily on that uh, to, to to be a, a a very competitive team in the in the Pac-12. Absolutely. Uh, 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 Tough schedule in the middle. Uh, they got Arizona State and USC, and then they finish up with Arizona and UCLA. Um, I, I just, I just like this team for one reason, one reason only, ladies and gentlemen. It's because they're going to beat Michigan to start the season. So, uh, and they got, you know, star uh, Latua Tui's little brother on that defensive line. I like the Utah Utes week one. Take it to the bank. So. <laughs> The only the only thing I'm a little nervous about, and I agree, I think they get Michigan, but they got to play their rival, one of their rivals, Utah State, the next week on Friday. So right out of the gate, week one is a look ahead game for Utah, which is, doesn't happen too often. But uh, I, I would imagine with the entire season and getting ready and knowing uh, how big of a stage it'll be with Jim Harbaugh on the other sideline, that Utah will be ready to come on opening day. Yeah. They, they're going to be ready to go because Kyle Winningham has been there long enough. He remembers the way Stanford used to beat Utah down. I think he's going to want to put a little, you know, get back on the on the hairball and the khaki. So uh, that's what that's why I like them again. Good um, point. Anybody else in the Pac-12? Uh, Washington. Uh, no, the only thing I'd mention is Jeff Goff at California. Um, he, they, oh, yeah. They're going to have a very good offense this year. Um, they got great receivers to throw to, a decent offensive line. I, I think Cal's going to surprise a lot of teams this year. 
Let's, let's go quick fire. Oh, we can go for quick fire real quick. I'll just line them up and you can say something about all these things. Uh, you know, Gary Anderson takes over up at Oregon State. Uh, you know, that game is always big at the end of the year. This year they play in Eugene, so the uh, Beavers will be uh, fired up. But they got a new program. The West, the Wisconsin coach moves out there. Yeah, Oregon State's in the rebuilding year. They have nobody with any quarterback experience left that's thrown a pass in college. Uh, so it, it's going to take a year or two for Gary Anderson. Uh, the old pirate is up there with the Washington State Cougars. Uh, thank you for Vince Maley, the product that was drafted by the Browns, but what else can you expect uh, with the guys, anybody going into Martin Stadium and Mike Leach? Well, I mean, it, it comes down to turnovers with Washington State. Uh, if, they, if they take care of the ball, which is hard to do with the way they play offense, then they're going to win some games. But talent-wise, they're nowhere near what the rest of the Pac-12 is. Uh, they're going to have to outscore guys and not turn the ball over. Trending up in the right direction, it still might take them a couple more years to get the personnel that they want. But Chris Peterson, the first former Boise State coach, in his uh, third season now with the Washington Huskies, uh, you, you hope at some point the Huskies get their bite back. Yeah, they're kind of in the same position as Oregon State. They got to find a quarterback. Uh, and to be honest, it, they're still rebuilding. He's got another year at least to get his guys in there and uh, and get that team turned around. Sark left the, the cover pretty fair there. And we talk about the Cal Bears, Sonny Dykes, and him and Mike Leach uh, try to win the uh, award for whose quarterback can have the most passing attempts in a game. Yeah, California is going to be throwing the ball a lot. Um, they've got; they're going to put up a lot of points and be a scary team in the Pac-12 and a, and a team that you don't want to run into on the wrong Saturday. And you're just hoping Jared Goff doesn't have any elbow injuries after throwing the ball 60 times a game. <laughs> exactly. So he doesn't throw a sidearm three quarters in a, in a bad slot. <laughs> All right, that wraps up Pac-12. Let's go to... Wait, 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 wait. You forgot one. Mike McIntyre and the Colorado Buffalo. They're going to be bad. That's all I got to say about them. Say, say it again. <laughs> say you forgot one. Go to... Wait, wait, wait. You forgot one. The Colorado Buffaloes. Coming off their 2-10 and 10 record. 0-9 conference. Yeah, I expect about the same for that. Well, I don't want to upset John Cox as we were Rams are out there rebuilding with the loss of Jim McElvain down to Florida. So, yeah, that covers the Pac-12 extensively. Colorado State in that conference? No, Colorado. Colorado State in uh, the Mountain West. Okay, well, we'll, cut that. we'll be cutting that. All right, let's get on into middle America, the heartland, the one place where they say they play to decide it, but they don't have a championship game, the Big 12. One uh, champion. <laughs> <laughs> How do you determine that when you don't have a championship game? I mean, let's be honest. You know, it, it, it's so, we're laughing about it because it's ridiculous that they refuse to address that in the offseason. Um so, once again, all we have is to go on is uh, the way that these guys beat each other up, and they probably will be on the outside looking in, not unless somebody is able to go undefeated or at one loss uh, and get into the college football final. 
This is an interesting conference. It's a very top-heavy conference. I think the top five teams in this conference are very good, and I think the bottom five are uh, below average at the very least, let's say. Absolutely. College football playoff. Absolutely. I mean, and you talk about the bottom teams. I mean, we're talking about teams that, you know, shouldn't even be able to uh, be almost damn near Division One. so... No, there's probably three teams in here that would lose to Appalachian State and uh, Montana and those types of teams at nine out of ten times. And when you look at teams like Kansas and Iowa State and Texas Tech, it just they're bottom feeders. Uh, you know, the most I will say this: I am disgusted by the fact Kansas is still playing. They're still paying Charlie Weiss, though. So, I mean, like that, that, that disgusts me. Um, let's look yeah, at you, you talk about, Yeah, let's talk about the fall off, though. I mean, uh, there, there's got to be some questions down there in Lubbock, Texas, with you know what Cliff Kingsbury has done. I mean, that Texas Tech program. I mean, they have left a lot to be desired. Yeah, I mean, they, it's what you kind of expect from Texas Tech, with all apologies, and that's a lot of yards throwing the ball and about eight losses a year. <laughs> you know, that's all they are, really. It's an up-tempo. Uh, they're still playing the, the run-and-shoot offense at Texas Tech, and uh, everybody else is playing the spread offense. So, uh, you know, they, they've got a good quarterback, and that's about it. Shout out to shout out to Jerry Glanville. Um, you know, it's it's one of these things. Then you look at West Virginia and Dana Hogerson. We know they lose a lot. Uh, they lose a the quarterback position. I don't know if they can put up the fight. But West Virginia, you know, you go into the mountains um, at Mountaineer Field. It's always a tough place to play. But most of their games are on the road. They don't get any big boys in West Virginia. So this going to be a tough year for the Mountaineers. Yeah, I think they're better defensively than they've been in years past, uh, especially in the back end of the defense. But it's going to be tough replacing the quarterback and, and finding ways to score points. Uh, they they do return uh, a couple high-end rushers in uh, Russell Shell and uh, Wendell Smallwood, uh, their leading rushers from last year. So they're going to have to lean heavily on those guys. Now, I told you this was going to be a reoccurring thing. Another one of these bottom feeder teams, in my opinion, it goes to the biggest college in the state of Texas. It's, it's Austin. These Texas Bonghorns. Wow. Have refused, have, refused, have refused to address the biggest issue that they have there, find a quarterback. You can literally, literally throw. You can throw a stone in the state of Texas and find a better kid than Swoops, uh, who should be playing wide receiver um, at quarterback. I don't understand. Still there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Now. Okay. Yeah. Let me do that part again. You know, I think it starts down in Austin, Texas. Charlie Strong, the Texas Longhorns, you got Swoops there. They refuse to find a better quarterback. Swoops looks like he's a better athlete than he is quarterback, should be playing wide receiver, and that's from the brown, the burnt orange and the and the and the uh faithful down there. Um you know, maybe even Bobo would be a better choice at quarterback right now, you know. So uh, Bevo would be a better choice at quarterback down there for the Texas Longhorns. 
without that, I don't want to hear about Texas or anything like that. And it's a shame that this program can't get back to the prominence that it once was in college football. Yeah, it, it seems like it's been a revolving uh, door of quarterbacks for the last few years for Texas, even before Charlie Strong got there. Um, you know, swoops will be pushed by uh, Jared Hurd, who's a redshirt freshman, uh, one of the more highly recruited quarterbacks uh, coming out of high school. So uh, look for that if swoops struggles early for uh, a quick hook from Charlie Strong. Well, they've got, a, they've got a big opening game against Notre Dame. Uh, I think this is one of these games where it's going to make Notre Dame look better than, it's, than they really are. Uh, and I would think this is going to be where uh, they – it's going to be a rough year, rough year for the Longhorns. Uh, if they get bowl eligible, it'll be amazing to me. They're going to have to hang their hat on defense. Uh, the defense coming back is – it's pretty solid. So we'll see uh, if they can find that quarterback and, and score enough points. they got to find some receivers, too. Uh, they they don't return much at all wide receiver-wise. They lose their top two guys uh, in Joe, John Harris and Jackson – I'm sorry, Jackson Shipley, one of the Shipley brothers. Yeah, good Lord. They got, you know, they're like minions down there in East Shipley. So. <laughs> they, <Wow>. they do. <laughs> Well, let's go to one of our favorite programs, the darling of college football, almost the grandfather of, you know, upsetting teams on Thursday night, and that's Bill Snyder, the Wizards, and man happiness, the Kansas State Wildcats. I'm going to tell you like this, Kansas State's schedule is favorable, and, I mean, they might snake bite one of the big boys in Baylor or TCU. Yeah, I mean, always it's it's scary having to face Kansas State, no matter their talent level. It's just that this year they just don't have it. I don't think uh, they have nobody at quarterback or the skill positions really that put any fear in anybody. And Bill Snyder, who's known for bringing JUCO players in, uh, I think only brought one player in this year. So it, I'm I'm not quite sure what to make of Kansas State yet. But like you said, it's Bill Snyder, and you never know with Bill Snyder. He gets the most out of his players every year. Yeah, they don't have a quarterback. They, of course, lost the, uh, quarter, the quarterback last year, and then Tyler Lockett, you know, uh, who looks good in the NFL right now. Yeah, and that's a fantasy uh, point for you guys. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of these things. Like you said, he finds a way. I just like this schedule because they'll be able to determine what they like to do in the first three weeks against South Dakota State, the Roadrunners, and against, you know, Louisiana Tech, and then they got a bye week going into the game at Oklahoma State. So. But then they got to face TCU, Oklahoma, and then Texas, and then Baylor. Uh, that middle of the season for them is just a gauntlet. And uh, but I, I still find, I think they find a way to get the eight, nine wins. And uh, you know, and then you got to watch out for them in bowl season. Yeah, and I, I think that those middle four games that you're talking about, I think they get one of them. You know, I, I don't think that they get two of them, but they're going to make somebody's season uh, really uncomfortable because. I think Oklahoma State, TCU, Oklahoma, and, well, maybe not Texas, but Baylor for sure, uh, those are the big boys of this conference. Absolutely, and, and and those will be the games that you definitely want to watch and tune in and watch uh, the Kansas State Wildcats play. Uh, we we go up to T-Boom, Pickens Land, and the problems that Oklahoma State has had, uh, no other coach in the country, I think, has been embroiled in controversy than Mike Gundy. Uh, this team, you don't know what to expect. They're devoid of talent. Um, I just don't expect a lot from the Oklahoma State Cowboys this season. 
Yeah, I, I'm actually a little bit higher on Oklahoma State than a lot of people. I think they're solid, uh, just all around solid. They're going to have to find some answers at running back. But, I mean, every team's got, outside of Ohio State, has holes to fill and, and things to find out about their team. Uh, I, I think the Pokes rebound from a real bad year last year. Well, we stay in the state of Oklahoma, and we go with Bob Stoops and the Oklahoma Sooners. Is this finally the year that Stoops makes a comeback, made some changes changes in the coaching staff, also made a change at quarterback? I've never seen a guy lose more opportunities to Trevor Knight, whether it was Dayton Carey Perry or being the starting quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. Yeah, they get the the transfer Baker Mayfield uh, coming in, so I, I think that'll be your quarterback. And we know what they got in the backfield. Sammy Park, Samarje Perrine is very good. Samarje Perrine. Samarje Perrine is Samarje. really good. Samarje. 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 All right. All right. Let me try, try this a third time. Samarje Perrine. <laughs> Samarje Perrine. Samarje Perrine is one of the best running backs in the country, bar none. Uh, even if you can't pronounce his name right. But uh, he's uh, he's going to carry the workload now until uh, they get comfortable on offense. Oklahoma's schedule sets up pretty well, actually, when you look at it. Uh, they got to go to Manhattan, but it's a Saturday game. Uh, it, the, the tough games on the road are at Baylor is going to be tough, but those last three games in a row, at Baylor, TCU, at Oklahoma State, uh, they could be undefeated going into those last three games, so it'll be uh, interesting to see if Big Game Bob can live up to his moniker and uh, run the table at the end. Well, Paul Fadbach will be calling for this guy to get fired if they don't win the game at Tennessee at Old Rocky Top the second weekend of the season. Um, I think I agree with you, and I think this is the year Oklahoma, if they can't, if they get one of the two games, they will spoil the Big 12's opportunity to get into the college football final with the game either at Baylor and Wake or, you know, getting TCU at home in Norman. So, uh, boomer sooner this year is the way to go. All right, we got the big boys. Let's get to it. The Baylor Bears, uh, you talk about it, Boyle, uh, in controversy. Art Bryles, uh is he doing anything to win down there in Waco, knowing that he needs somebody on defense no matter what they do to soccer players on the Baylor campus? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously we look at Baylor and TCU as the top two teams in this conference, and really the only difference to me is the quarterback. Uh, it, it, it's Baylor's got to make sure that they've got a guy that they can trust, a quarterback. TCU, we know, has a guy they can trust. And uh, right now, that's the difference between these two teams. Other than that, I, I think they're, you know, top five teams in the country, both of them. Well, here's one of the things that I think about with these two teams, and it really comes to Baylor, and you think about all the quarterbacks that have come through there. They've all been injured at some point during their college careers, and that's because of the way the system is. They throw the ball a lot. They spread you out. Um, but they leave a lot of lanes for rushing. So if they go up against a team that has a dynamic uh, defensive end, you know, or linebackers, that quarterback's going to get hit. And that's been one of the Achilles heels for them. They always have a game where their quarterback's not at 100%. That ends up being a big game for them. Um, I like Shaq Linwood coming out of the backfield for the uh, Baylor Bears. And you know they're going to score points. 
you know they're going to score points. It's just can they stop somebody on defense? That was their biggest problem, losing that game to Michigan State uh, last year. Finish the season. Yeah, and uh, I think the same is going to be said about TCU. It's going to be come down to can they stop stop teams when when it counts uh, and get that big stop. And you look at the TCU Baylor game last year and score that game, and it really came down to not who has the better defense, but who could get that last stop at the end of the game. And we talk about the Horn Frogs, Fort Worth, Gary Patterson. Uh, the, the Baylor TCU game really makes you miss NCAA football because uh, you know that's his video game like numbers. Uh, Trevon Boykin back. They do lose uh, Paul Dawson on the defense. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest thing what the defense can do for the Horn Frogs. But you know uh, the Heisman hopeful Trevon Boykin and that high powered offense of uh, Patterson will be ready to go. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's it, – I, I really think the Big 12 comes down to three teams battling it out, and that's Oklahoma, Baylor, and TCU. And, you know, they're all going to play each other, so we're going to find out who's the best of them, of them all. Yeah, and TCU gets started off at the beginning of the season with the uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers, who they definitely want to get some get back because they kind of kept them uh, – just the margin of victory kept them out of – uh, the the college football playoff last year, so look for them to try to lay the smackdown on the Gophers starting off uh, Thursday night at Minnesota too. So it's that's a little bit of an interesting game. First game of the year, and you get the opportunity like we saw last year with Virginia Tech to the game plan all year for a team. Uh, that's that's going to be uh, a, a tough a tough trip to go up to Minnesota and win by. 21 or 28 points. You know, the Big 12's biggest opponent is the Big 12. They don't have a championship game, and, I mean, we're we're beating a dead horse here, but it, it literally is the the thing that's killing them from getting their real opportunity and their shot. We talked about the three teams all battling each other. They could come out with one loss, you know, out of that gambit of those, that three-game cycle of all playing each other. And that's going to keep them from getting their opportunity of being one of the top four teams when the end of the season, you know, uh, comes. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Uh, I think that's that's the thing is they don't have that extra game at the end of the year to against a quality opponent to impress people. And that's, and that's a disadvantage. And we're talking about three weeks of, I mean, almost two and a half weeks of not even just being seen on TV. So that yeah, like yeah, they, right. they definitely don't have the showcase. All right, Jake. How the mighty SEC has fallen. Who you got in the Big Twelve? Oh yeah, Big Twelve. I'm take, I'm I'm going. I mean, it is you know the title of this podcast is with an Ohio bias. For the love of God, Big Dang Bob Stoops, say hello to the rest of college football and join us at the Big Boy Table. Wow, Oklahoma. I was. I was running Bob Stoops out of Oklahoma last year, um, but I, I, I tend to agree that I think that they, he's got a big chance this year uh, to, to win this conference. However, I, I just love TCU's offensive skill and, and Trayvon Boykin. I, I think that they've got the most out of any of these teams, and I'm going to pick Gary Patterson and TCU to win the Big 12. I'm going to take this part and put it back, but uh... – I, I agree that TCU is very good, but 
it's going to be keeping Trayvon Boykin healthy. I talked about the situation with Baylor, the way they play. It's the same thing with Trayvon Boykin. This guy, you know, I mean, this is for any quarterback in college football. Uh, the depth problem, though, who's stepping up behind Trayvon Boykin? And that's one of the real issues when you see these quarterbacks go down. Uh, everybody's not blessed to have, you know, uh, quarterbacks coming out of the water like Ohio State University uh, or falling down the waterfall like in the locker room. I like the uh, block O, I like the Ohio State University. So, the Ohio State University. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, definitely, death is always huge. And when you're talking about the potential of losing a quarterback and the risk is raised when you've got a guy that runs the ball as much as Trayvon Boykin does. And we move on to the SEC. Oh, how it has fallen. Uh, got railroaded, you know, last year in bowl games. Um, let's start at old Rocky Top with the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, we talk about death being an issue. Butch Jones is trying to temper expectations, saying he doesn't have the depth he needs yet with the high recruiting classes over the last three years. I'll tell you what, he may be down playing them, but I like Tennessee a lot this year. Uh, I think they're going to be one of the more improved teams in the conference uh, and, and it starts with the quarterback play, obviously. Um, it, 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 Dobbs can can stay healthy and uh, and and find some. I mean, Marquise North is now just an outstanding wide receiver. Uh, they've got the talent, I think, on this team to contend in the SEC this year and definitely uh, upset some teams that like the Alabamas of the world uh, that that would. Uh, that are more mainstream picks for the, the Southeastern Conference. Absolutely. I, I definitely think Tennessee uh, gets a couple games. We talked about the game that they start out the season, which early, so we'll get to see what they're made of at the beginning of the season. Oops, that's a, Jesus Christ. There we go. Uh, they start out that second week. Well, they first start out with a beatdown on the Bowling Green Falcons that will probably happen, and then, they uh, have the game with Oklahoma. So we're good to see that second week against uh, Bob Stoops, what Tennessee's made of uh, very early on. We go to another team in the SEC, the Arkansas Razorbacks or the Wisconsin of the South, as dubbed on the Western <laughs> Ohio bias. Uh, what can you expect from Brett Bielema, especially with Jonathan Williams out with the foot injury? He's down to only two superstar running backs there. Yeah, you you can expect them to run the ball, you know, and have a big physical offensive line. Uh, the defense leaves a little bit to be desired, but uh, they're they're gonna their defense is gonna be predicated on staying off the field, uh, you know, ball control offense and limiting the opportunities for the other team. So uh, we'll see how that formula translates in the SEC. Yeah, one of the big things that i got to give Brett Bielema credit for, we thought about good on special teams, but also, too, he has sucked the tempo out, you know, of these other teams that like to go hurry up or that fast pace in the SEC. And that's one of the big things that we saw that that end of the year. So, uh, I mean, I don't consider the Arkansas up in challenge in the SEC, but the term, they're going to spoil somebody's uh, hopes uh, this year in the SEC, whether it be LSU at the end of the season or Alabama early on in October. We jump over to 
College Station, the team that you're very high on. We talked about Kevin Sumlin bringing in the Chief John Chavis on to help out with that defense to shore it up. I mean, it gets no better than Miles Garrett at that defensive end. And then, of course, Kyle Allen on the uh, offensive end. Uh, you're high on the Aggies. Go ahead and sell the program, brother. <laughs> well, I mean, I really am high on their their wide receiver unit. Uh, they, they've got one of the strongest depth-wise in the country. And for me, Kevin Sumlin is just the quintessential college coach. Uh, he's He just has a connection with the players. And I just really think that offensively, he knows what he's doing. And now that he's been able to turn the defense over, and let's not forget this defense last year was very inexperienced and very young, and they're returning everybody. Uh, So it's got some experience now. John Chavis, who comes in from LSU, is just, I mean, exactly what this team needs, I think. Uh, and we'll see what happens with them. I mean, they're not. There's no expect, expectations right now from Texas A&M to compete in the SEC, uh, the SEC West right now with the big boys. But I think they're going to make some noise this year. Yeah, one of the things favorable to their schedule, they don't have to play Georgia or Mississippi State this year, but they still got Alabama and Auburn. Uh, I'm a big Ricky Sales Jones fan. You talk about that receiving core. I think this guy's one of the best receivers in the country. Uh, it's just them proving it week in, week out, and getting consistency. I think the defense, that will be the big thing on defense. Even if they, The one thing you know about A&M, they're going to score, so if they can stop somebody once or twice a game, they have a great chance to win, and I think that's what Chavis is going to bring to the Aggies. So shout-out to the 12th man down there. Definitely looking forward to that game, as we said, before the beginning of the year against Arizona State. We move on to the state of Mississippi. Let's start with Ole Miss trying to replace Bo. Bo Jackson. Bo Wallace. Let's start with Ole Miss trying to replace Bo Wallace. What do you think about the Rebels? Well, I mean, you talk about replacing Bo Wallace, and is it really that much to live up to to replace Bo Wallace? Um, they, they've got Laquan Treadwell coming back. Let's hope he's uh, the same dynamic player he was last year. Um, but you, you hit it on the head. It's going to come down to can can they get the quarterback play they need to uh, to put up the points to contend week in and week out. Um, and, and I think it starts and stops there. Well, you know I'm excited for one thing and one thing only when it comes to this program and that's the return of Demetrius Treadwell, one of the most dynamic players in the country. Uh, that horrific injury he suffered with uh, Laquan Treadwell. My bad, my bad. Laquan Treadwell, one of the most dynamic players in the country. The horrific injury he suffered last year. I think he has a great year no matter who's the quarterback. But like you said, they're just going to be uh, – if they can play spoiler and win the egg ball, I think that's a great year for Hugh Freed. The man with the best shoe swag in the, in the SEC. We stay in Mississippi State, and one of the best returning quarterbacks that nobody is really even talking about, the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Dak Prescott, comes back. Uh, Ken Stark Vegas shocked the world, and Dan Mullen gets this team up and out of the SEC. You know, uh, to me, Dak Prescott's one of the most overrated quarterbacks in the league. Uh, I, I don't like his decision-making. I think he's uh, uh, a product of his physical gifts, and 
you know, this year he's not going to have the, the talent to lean on, uh, it, whether it's running the ball or throwing the ball. Um, they Mississippi State lost a lot, especially on the offensive line. Uh, he's going to be running for his life a lot, and I expect a big drop off this year for Dan Mullen and the and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Yeah, they lose Josh Robinson to the NFL out of that backfield. My biggest thing is the Land Sharks can do something on defense. That was their biggest problem last year. That second half of the season, uh, they open up the second week of the season with LSU, so that should be a good game. They get them at home. So we should know what they're made of. They lose that game, and then they got to go to Auburn in late September and then into College Station. Uh, it could be a long year for the uh, the old cowbells down there ringing. Um, I don't think we'll be hearing them ringing in the middle of October. So it'll be one of those things. And then they finish up with a gauntlet, uh, you know, Missouri, Alabama, Arkansas, and then Egg Bowl. Uh, it's going to be a tough year. If they get to – if they can be eight wins, I think that's a good job by Dan Mullen. Let's check out our team real quick. Let's go to Lexington. Uh, we talk about them. I think they're a program on the rise, still going to take a couple years, but he is a student. He's from Youngstown. We're talking about the Kentucky Wildcats. You know, Kentucky's a basketball school. <laughs> so uh, anything they do in, in the SEC in football is a bonus. They're going to be bad. <laughs> I mean, they're going to give some guys some games, but all in all, Kentucky's is what Kentucky is, and that's the same thing Vanderbilt is in the SEC, and that's bad football teams. Well, they've got some highly talented uh, recruits in there, uh, Dorian Baker and Stanley Williams. Uh, you know, it's going to be a Patrick Toast to get them the ball. I just like them that second week. It's just a matchup to watch Kentucky versus South Carolina. You'll be able to see them in them Florida. But, yeah, I think they're, they they got a hard schedule this year. Uh, if Mark Steve's system bowl eligible, I think that's a great year for uh, Kentucky. We talk about basketball schools, and that's pretty much what the Florida Gators are known for now with the departure of Will Muschamp. Um, what can Jim McElvain do down there with the quarterback controversy with Will Greer and Treon Harris? Um, we know the defense will be decent, but you take Jimmy Mack to make an impact his first season. Yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head. They're going to be very good defensively, and can can they get production from the quarterback. Uh, you know, you got Will Greyer down there, too, the redshirt freshman. Um, it, it, it's going to be a filling out process. I think there's just too much implement, implementation of systems and, and a new head coach and new coaches overall uh, for, for Florida to really gain traction this year. But uh, I, I think Jim McElwain has a good foundation to build from. I don't think the cupboard is bare in Florida. And obviously, the ability to recruit there, uh, once they get their facilities built up a little bit more, uh, I think they're going to be, you know, like they were every other year when Urban was down there and the old ball coach was down there. Uh, I think Florida's on the on the way back, but it's just a year early offensively for them. I don't know what they've been spending money on the last 10 years after winning all the national championships and everything. You know, like they don't have proper facilities, but I digress on that, you know, what the hell's going on in Tallahassee. Let's go up. We talk about Florida. We talk about uh, one of the most winning years of all time. You mentioned the old ball coach. That's South Carolina Gamecocks. What do you expect this year from Sprayers' team? We know they have one of the most dynamic players in the country in Farrell Cooper. Uh, you definitely want to see that guy play because I think he'll be playing on Sunday coming next year. 
Yeah, uh, it's just a matter of who's throwing the ball in South Carolina. I mean, we know that Spurrier is known as the quarterback guru, but uh, they just have a lot of question marks, and I, I expect them to be kind of a typical South Carolina under Spurrier season where they lose four or five games and they're bowl eligible. Uh, I, I don't see anything that it points to an upward trend with uh, South Carolina this year. Well, one of the best things is that they, they decided on Connor Mitch there, so we got another Connor, but South Carolina. And then their first game, like we said, is the first game of the season against North Carolina. So uh, I think that's going to be a showcase to see where they are. And then they get Georgia that third week, so that's going to really showcase if they can snake bite Georgia and catch them slipping, that might be a big, big uh, momentum builder for South Carolina this season. Uh, staying in the SEC East, let's go out, you know, back to the Midwest, Columbia, Missouri, Gary Pinkle, our own Ohio zone, Maddie Mock fighting for his job out there at quarterback, trying to fight off the freshman contender, uh, you know, uh, Gary Pinkle taking away the one guy who helped them get to the SEC championship back-to-back years. You know, I I don't know how Missouri does it every year going back-to-back in the SEC. Uh, Maybe that's more to say about the SEC East in the last few years than it is Missouri, but you know, I, I, I'm just not a huge Gary Pinkle fan. I, I just don't like his demeanor and the way he handles himself. Uh, I like Matty Mock a lot, and I, I hope he can hold off and, and win the uh, win the starting job, uh, keep his starting job. But Missouri's got plenty of holes, and I, I just don't see it again with the improvement from Tennessee. And then uh, I think Georgia is clearly the class of the East right now. Well, I think I think Missouri is Missouri, and they do they do, they know what they do well. Uh, they got a favorable schedule this year. They only have to play at Georgia and at Arkansas. So it's like uh, they, they every get, year they have a favorable schedule. It's ridiculous. Well, I mean, Missouri because the SEC is now. I mean, I can't help but pull the state. What you want me to do? Yeah, I mean, you want me to go down there, coaches? Yeah, uh, SEC is not as good as everybody thinks. But you know, hey, that's not what ESPN promotes. You know. So, um, you know, and I've been saying it for years. But, hey, no, you know, finally we've got a podcast people actually listen to. Here's the bottom line. Missouri, <laughs> you know, I think they're going to find a way again to find their way out of it. They're, they literally are they, – they should change their, they should change their uh, mascot to, the you know, the mongoose because they find a way to kill snakes every year and find their way into the SEC championship game. Uh, let's get to it. You talk about Georgia. Let's get into it because this Georgia team – they had, you know, Nick Chubb, who's coming back, one of the best running backs in the country, finished this year eight consecutive 100-yard games. But you know what George's problem is? The biggest problem is the guy, Mark the Red. coach, <laughs> has been for the last 14 years. The guy who stinks as a head coach. There's no other way around it. And finally, finally, I've been listening a lot to Feinbaum. Finally, everybody else is saying the same thing that I've been screaming the last three years. So this is the year to make or break Georgia. The SEC East, we just went through the teams. They're down. So if Georgia doesn't win this SEC, I don't I don't care who gets injured. I don't care. I mean, I know they are starting a freshman quarterback, but this is Georgia's year. There's no excuses. No excuses. I mean, Georgia's got the best talent in the SEC, maybe the SEC period. But the problem is that they got to play Nick Saban. They got to play uh, Gus Malzone. <laughs> they got to play uh, the aforementioned Gary Pinkle. It, you know, it, it, 
it's a product. They got to play Paul Johnson in the last week. It's totally Mark Rick, and I fully expect Mark Rick to cost this game, this team two wins. Well, here, here's the real thing. He misused Todd Gurley last year, got the guy injured. I mean, I'm not going to say he literally got him injured, but he just misused him. He put a, he, he, you know, like overused him in plays. He didn't need to, didn't have him on the field when he should have. And the one thing is I don't understand why Georgia thinks they got to try to go tempo when they have, like, the best running backs and a great defense. Run the ball and and keep the opposing team off the field, they win games. But he wants to throw it around like they're the Atlanta Falcons. So, you know, this is why this guy loses every year. And also, they've got one of the worst special teams units in the country. Yeah, they're good on coverage, but they suck at putting the ball through the upright. So this is one of my biggest problems with this guy down there. He's always had the best talent, talent rich state in Georgia. They lose the offensive coordinator, who was one of the best recruiters. But that's what Georgia people are telling me. He was the problem. So once again, Tell me, at the end of the season, when Georgia can't even make it out of the SEC East, why Mark Rick is still your coach? You know, and, and this might be a little harsh to say, but Rick is John Cooper of the South. When you I know, said it, nobody he, wanted to hear it. When I said it, nobody he, wanted to hear it. Yeah, he's, he's, he is the John Cooper of the South. He, he always seems to have some of the best talent in the country and can never get the, get the wins when he needs them. Absolutely. I, I'm I'm sorry for screaming, but I I mean this Georgia program it infuriates me. You think about the great Herschel Walker and whatnot. It just infuriates me that Georgia. And the thing is, I hear these callers call up though. They're fine with ten win seasons or nine win seasons and always being a bridesmaid. So you know it is what it is. And now they're losing to Georgia Tech. So let's see how long that flies. Georgia Tech is just a better team than them. They're better coached and they, uh, they play better football. Um, right, but they were always able to beat their beat their rival. But now that they're starting to lose their rival, let's see how long Mark Rick lasts. Yeah, that's the John Cooper effect. Uh, let's get into it. Let's go to another team that's trying to find some stability at quarterback. Uh, he's definitely not on the hot seat, but it's time for Les Miles to make a move down there with these LSU Tigers. Uh, always stacked on defense, never a question what they can do there. The question is, what can they do if they are not one-dimensional with the great Leonard Fournette, who's going to be up for Heisman right behind. The great Leonard Fournette, who's going to be right behind Nick Chubb in SEC uh, uh, Heisman talk. Uh, can Brandon Harris, you know, be the difference or Anthony Jennings for quarterback and actually just be serviceable? I mean, Lord knows they need to bring Trent Different uh, in down there to help them on offense. And shout out, Cam Cameron has prostate cancer. I uh, wish him all the best. And uh, he's a tough SOB because the guy's going to keep on coaching during this season. Yeah, you know what, and I think if Cam Cameron's able to continue to coach and, and be effective, I think we'll see something offensively uh, from the quarterback and receivers from LSU, and that, and that's the biggest key. Uh, otherwise, this team is, is is the best talent in the SEC, in my opinion. Uh, but, again, you got you got to figure out the quarterback position. And, and, and you know, the, the talent's there, receiver. It's just a matter of, Who's going to step up and be the be one of the go-to guys? The Odell Beckham. Absolutely, I like I like their schedule. Um, you know, I don't I don't fear Mississippi at the end of the season. Uh, I know you're high on the Aggies, but I think they can roll through them too. Because one thing LSU has always known their identity they're going they're going to run the ball at you and then they're going to play great defense. It's just passing the ball 
when they have an effective passer uh, and somebody just doesn't turn the ball over, they're very, very dangerous. So uh, LSU could definitely uh, be there at the end of the year. Um, the big one, of course, with them is Auburn and Alabama. They get one of those two games, then watch out for the Tigers. Maybe a little bit of a bold prediction, uh, but I, I really think that last game, LSU-Texas A&M, is for the SEC West this year. That is a bold prediction. Well, we talk about the SEC West, and it goes to the state of Alabama. But it starts with the Auburn Tigers. Can Gus Malzahn bring in Will Muschamp to help that defense? Uh, they bring in Jeremy Johnson, who got to start last year when Nick Marshall was suspended. Um, people are high on Jeremy Johnson. They're calling him the second coming down there. Uh, they say he walks on water and turns water into wine. So Ken Gus Miles on his high-powered offense and Will Muschamp with that defense. I mean, you know they got the they, they got the athletes. Can they make the difference and run the gauntlet of the SEC? You know, I, I, for some reason, I think Auburn's the most overrated team in the country. Uh, I got to see it from Jeremy Johnson. Um, you know, they, they've had their problems with suspensions already. Uh, you know, you're talking about bringing in a defensive coordinator that, you know, you're, you're implementing a new guy into the system, and, and that's always a transition. I mean, obviously, when you got a guy with the defensive coaching ability of uh, Will Muschamp, it's an easier transition, but it's still a transition. And they play maybe the toughest schedule in the country. Uh, so I don't think they're that much better talent-wise than everybody else uh, that they're going to be playing. And I, I see this team losing at least two games. That's a real question. I'm going to ask that one when we get done with the SEC here. But um, they start out with Louisville, and then the, that third week they get LSU. So they got a layup in between with Jacksonville State. I think we'll know real early who this Auburn team is, um, and that's going to be after that LSU game. So I, it's one of these things. I hate to hedge it because I don't like to be that guy, but I've got to wait and see because everybody's so high on them. I mean, but you got recruits down there getting mad because they're getting chastised at practice for being called out being five-star. And like you said, there's a lot of distractions, a lot of off-the-field issues. Um, the receiver gets suspended, you know, I I, you wonder about the discipline and whether they can hold up against this very difficult schedule all year long with the distractions and everything else that comes with uh, being. Because like, even if they get past LSU at the beginning of the year, then they're going to have front runner status in the, uh, in, the, in the SEC. And then they have that big trip at the end of the year in the Iron Bowl. And I, I never see Auburn playing well when they have the target on their backs. So. You know, let me mention this while, you're, while you mentioned the schedule. I got the biggest problem with these SEC teams at the end of the year scheduling teams like Idaho and uh, the LSU gets Western Kentucky, Alabama gets Charleston Southern. How can you schedule an out-of-conference team against that sort of cupcake uh, right between your two biggest games of the year to have essentially a bye week and, and allow that to go on year after year without someone calling them out? It's absolute garbage, and they should be it should be taken into account when teams like Ohio State are finishing their conference with Michigan State and their rival Michigan. Yeah, no argument here. It's it's a travesty, and it's one of the problems without the uniformity in college football to not have everybody you know playing the same schedule. But then you know we have this committee that's supposed to evaluate them and decide who's the top four teams in the country. That's one of the biggest flaws in the current college football uh, championship system. 
after week after week six, week five or week six, you should not be allowed to go out of conference unless you're playing an independent team. Uh, I think you just you got to finish out your conference. You can't allow these teams to to put in an essential bye week and and beef up and get healthy uh, at the end of the year because that's the other thing it does is all these teams are banged up at the end of the year, and you have a, a team like Alabama who could play their second stringers and still roll some of these teams, and they can rest guys and get health. So it's a disadvantage that, again, nobody outside of the SEC uh, or nobody inside of the SEC ever sees a problem with. Well, we talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide, Nick Saban. Uh, we know they got rolled by the Ohio State Buckeyes last year. Uh, they've been trying to figure out what they're going to do, but they still haven't figured out who's the quarterback down there. They literally have been running four quarterbacks down there, whether it was Jake Coker, David Cornwell, Alec Morris, or Blake Barnett. Uh, Lane Kiffin can't help him make the decision. You know, we know that they got a great running back in Derrick Henry. We know that the defense will be good. Maybe the front they, – they think this is the best front seven ever down there in Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and we know they got Cyrus Jones uh, on the corner out there, which was one of the biggest problems of another year of experience for him. Um, but here, here's the real let's, – let's get real with Alabama. You don't have a quarterback. I don't care how good you're at the other eight units are. You know, you've got to have a quarterback, and that's the Achilles heel of Alabama this year. That's how far the Crimson Tide is going to take it. Um, they, they won't be tested until maybe Georgia in early October – uh, they got a nice little run of games there where they go through the SEC gauntlet of Georgia, Arkansas, Texas A&M, and Tennessee. But let's be honest, those are the baby brothers of the schools. And then they finish up the year with LSU, Mississippi State, Charleston Southern, as you spoke of earlier, and then Auburn. Uh, you know, I'm down on the Crimson Tide. I always have been. Uh, I just don't. I just don't see it. They make it to the playoffs. It'll be a miracle. Charleston Southern right before at Auburn. That blows my mind. Uh, you know, and actually, I, I think Alabama, I, I mean, obviously you mentioned the quarterback position, but it, it feels more like that Nick Saban pound you in the mouth type team. The the most interesting thing about Alabama to me this year is going to be the how Lane Giffen and, and Nick Saban interact all year, how much of the offense Lane really has, uh, because if there's some chances taken, like we all know Lane likes to do, that works directly in uh, competition with what Saban wants to do. And this team is built to control the ball and, and stop people, which is uh, maybe a little different than the years past here recently with, with Alabama. So that that would be something interesting to look forward to. But, uh, yeah, I think scoring points is going to be the thing. Can they score enough points? Because if they don't get the turnovers uh, defensively to put their offense in a good position, I don't see this team having a lot of explosiveness and uh, being, they're more built for those 15, 20 uh, play drives for, for a touchdown than they are Amari Cooper over the top. I, I agree totally. I mean, I'm just not high on him. Here's my real question as we look to predict who's coming out of the SEC. Can a two-loss team make it to the uh, college football playoffs? It's going to be interesting because I, I think that could be the case this year in the SEC. So he's looking at possibly a two-loss Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, maybe your guys, Texas A&M, if they can run a gauntlet, or even uh, the mighty, mighty Missouri Tigers uh, if they get out of the SEC championship for one year. Um, to, to answer your question, though, yes, I do. I, I think history has shown us that the, it's a rarity to have 
four one-loss teams. Uh, you know, the, usually there's going to be a two-loss team uh, as your number four team. So uh, I think it has happened and will happen. And, uh, yeah, definitely it would come from the SEC champion, I think, if uh, when you're talking about top-to-bottom conference. Well, I, I'm going to go with – you well, know. maybe the Pac-12, too. I, I mean, I, I, you're right. The SEC isn't like it used to be. And the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and even the Big 10 are all right there, I think, right now. I think it's as close as we've seen in a long time with all five conferences being pretty equal, especially at the top. Yeah, I, I, I really think that uh, this year we're going to see the Missouri Tigers come out again of the East, and then I think the LSU Tigers come out of the West as Alabama and Auburn falter in the middle of the seasons, and uh, then that game, the Iron Bowl doesn't mean as much as the end of the year. LSU finds a way to get out of the SEC. And I think similar to the Notre Dame situation, I think Georgia comes out of the East but comes off a loss in their rivalry game to Georgia Tech in that game, which could cost them a spot in the title if they were to be the winner of LSU and Texas A&M, which will be LSU. Uh, so I got LSU and Georgia, and I think LSU – a two-loss LSU team will go to the Final Four. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we bring it on back home to Ohio and the Big Ten Conference. Um, let's let's be honest, the Big Ten. There's one. There's one team. One team only. That's the Ohio State University. I mean, you'll get plenty of analysis on the Ohio State as we go ahead and we'll do an Ohio State-Virginia Tech show. So let's talk about the other teams in the Big Ten. I think it begins and ends with the team in the East Lansing, Mark Antonio, the Michigan State Spartans. Uh, I love Connor Cook, an Ohio product. I think he's going to show the development last this year. Uh, had 14 interceptions last year. I think he takes care of the ball better, and I think he propels Michigan State to be the class uh, right behind Ohio State in the Big Ten. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. Uh, I think Michigan State's loaded, especially defensively. Uh, they may have the best defense in the Big Ten with respect to Ohio State. Um, and then Connor Cook is definitely right there with the Ohio State quarterback. So it's just going to come down to do they have the, the depth at running back and wide receiver uh, to put up the points that they're going to need to because they're definitely going to stop a lot of teams and uh, and generate a lot of turnovers. Yeah, Shalit Calhoun comes back, which is huge for that defensive line. Uh, one, one of the big problems for them, they've got to get better play in the secondary. I think that's going to be the difference. We know they like to put those uh, corner – they love to play that press coverage and put those cornerbacks out there on island. They've got to get better play from those guys. That was one of the biggest Achilles heels. But, I mean, we're talking about a team that lost two games last year. So And that was one to Ohio State. So, I mean, I, I, I really can't complain. They got snake bit up there, and those were the turnovers I talked about earlier when we were talking about <clears throat> when Michigan State played Oregon. And I think Michigan State – even though they don't have, uh, you know, they play in the SEC. I mean, they play in the SEC. They play in the Big Ten East, um, and that's one of the biggest problems for them because I think they would be in that championship game at the end of the year with the Buckeyes if they played in the other division. I think, you know, they have a great showcase with Oregon, Ohio State, and now with Harbaugh, people will be looking at that game uh, as well. I think they got just enough to showcase themselves, even if they have one loss at the end of the season. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I mean, to give away a little bit of the preview, I have two Big Ten teams coming out of this thing this year, and that's a one-loss Michigan State team and uh, in the Big Ten champ Ohio State Buckeyes. Absolutely. 
Uh, let's move on. One of your favorites, James Franklin, over in Unhappy Valley. Uh, the big thing with, <laughs> you, me with your the, boy, you're that's your boy. The, one of the big <laughs> things with me with this team: can he stop stunting the growth of Christian Hackenberg? Uh, this is his showcase year. The guy's got to just have more touchdowns and interceptions. Yeah, uh, and uh, again, I, I like Penn State this year. I think defensively they're a really good team, and uh, we're going to see. It's you're right. It's going to come down to Christian Hackenberg, and can he take? a step forward this year and uh, rebound from the step back last year. Uh, but, you know, James Franklin, for all you want to say, his calling card and is working with quarterbacks. So uh, he hasn't been too successful so far, but let's see if this year uh, will prove a lot about what uh, James Franklin's all about. Hairball up at Michigan trying to find a quarterback. Uh, it's between Shane Morris. And Jake Murdoch, the Iowa transfer, uh, I don't expect a lot from them. Uh, hoping they find a way to win eight-plus games, but I think that's going to be hard. Um, but, you know, Hairball is a good coach, and I think this is the year that they start working on establishing identity. I think we're going to see Michigan look a lot like uh, the old Stanford team that when uh, Jim Harbaugh coached them in uh, college football. So uh, look for that, and uh, look for them to catch a beat down at the end of the year against Ohio State. <laughs> um, actually, really like their defense. They're they're solid on all three units of the defense, uh, and we know that Harbaugh is known as an offensive guy and a quarterback guy. So I think he's going to get the most out of whoever there is going to play quarterback for them. Uh, you know, wide receiver wise, Freddie Canteen is the sophomore. He's the type of guy that he's wearing the number seventeen this year. Uh, so we'll see if uh, he lives up to that. And then, uh, you know, it, it's just going to come down to they're in a year of transition. They're going to lose probably four games, and they're probably going to lose the the big one. But it's a big opportunity for them, and Ohio State's going to have to be on top of its game coming off a very physical Michigan State game um, and, and a Wolverines team that would love nothing more, obviously, than to set the tone of the Harbaugh era. Uh, against Ohio State, so uh, it's good to have that rivalry back and maybe that sense of maybe just a little bit of nervousness uh, about that last week in November. And the rivalry is not back to these guys win a game, so that, that's my whole thing. Or they get their team into the top twenty-five. That that that'll help Michigan. Like I mean, that that's that's the only time that it'll be back to me. I mean, I'm not giving no guy with khakis and a sweatshirt, you know, just because of what he did somewhere else. You got to do it and prove it again. You got to prove yourself every day. So, uh, and that's what I'm waiting to see. So um, I'm not. And there, there, here's something else: that's hype machine all around the Big Ten. You know, I don't care what this guy does over, you know, at Pedo State or anywhere else. You know, you got to prove yourself. I'm tired of these coaches getting on the microphone and acting like this is a rap, like you know, beef or something. There, uh, it's all talk. Your team stinks. So until you prove it, you know, like. Yeah, and that's that's what I want to see because that's what's hurting the Big Ten right now. There's nobody else outside of Michigan State that actually proves it on the field. And I mean, I'll tell you this: I got a lot of respect for what they do in Minnesota. That Golden Gophers program is actually on the come up. That coach just needs to stay healthy, and uh, we hope that he stays healthy. Uh, you see, Paul Chris maybe walking into one of the best situations in college football, even Pittsburgh going into Wisconsin. Uh, they're poised to run through that side of the Big Ten and make it to the championship.
You with me? I'm with you. Uh, anything on Wisconsin or not? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a class to that side. What are we calling it? The legends or the leaders or the West or the East? Uh, yeah, Wisconsin's the, – they're, they're going to have the best defense on that side of the bracket. Um, you know, they've got obviously some issues at quarterback, but they're going to run the ball and do Wisconsin-type things, you know, play good special teams and probably easily win, win the – the West Legends division. I look through the rest of the Big Ten. I mean, all these teams can be lumped into the same category for me. Uh, I'm sure you can take your snap at any of them, but Maryland, Iowa, Indiana, uh, you know, Rutgers, uh, I'm going to get to Rutgers last, actually. Maryland, Iowa, Indiana, all these teams, you know, I hope they have good years and win some games, but Northwestern, I think they're going to struggle just to get bowl eligible. Uh, I do. I will say this: the biggest wild card to me is what the Oregon State coach Mike Riley can do with Nebraska. But I don't expect a lot from those teams in the Big Ten and outside of the Big Ten. No, I think Mike Riley's a terrible coach, and that was a downgrade on Nebraska. Uh, a, Pelini was a raving lunatic, but he was a much better coach than Mike Riley. And uh, Mike Riley's going to. Uh, we're going to see with. Uh, a, a very full cupboard from Nebraska that Pelini left, uh, just how bad he is. So uh, I, I actually think Minnesota is next in the West. And then, uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz is going to go have his normal eight and eight or uh, seven, six and seven season and still uh, keep his job somehow. Yeah, that's one of the ones that's always a head scratcher. Yeah, real, we're big on Jerry Kill and the Minnesota Gophers. I mean, I just like the team. I like the way they play. Um, they come there at Ohio State late in the year. I think they beat Michigan, and I think they have a great season. I mean, they think they win eight or nine games, and that's going to be a great season for Jerry Kill. And that program just trends on the up and up. And at one point, they're going to uh, they're going to find a way to take that next step. I don't know what year it is, but as long as Jerry Kill can stay healthy, I think that Gophers uh, program is trending on the way up. One program not trending on the way up is this Rutgers program and Kyle Flood out there. I mean, this has to be one of the worst additions to any conference of all time, considering that they're athletic. It's <laughs> New York. But now we've got impropriety going on out there, whether it's tricks and gray, whether it's, you know, hiring a booster to come in after he donated over $2 million. That coach should be fired. The AD should be fired. I think they should start having an athletic program out there in Saskatchewan or wherever the fuck they play at, close to Tani, you know what I'm saying, whatever the name of the city is. I, I, I mean, I, I hate this Rutgers program. For the Piscataway. Piscataway. They play at uh, They should just, you know, Piscataway could get hit by a meteor for all I'm concerned. Now there's nothing to calm down with that. But I think they should shut down the athletic program at, at Piscataway, considering everything else, all they should have is a women's basketball team. That's all they should have. That's all they deserve. So, you know, that's the Didn't only the program that's Didn't the women's basketball team get in trouble? No, no. Yeah, <laughs> oh, okay. Good. That's what I thought. No, they, they didn't get all in trouble. Right. That was the one where oh, uh, was uh, I missed calling yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. 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 That, so that wasn't their fault. It's not their fault. It's not their fault that they, you know what I mean? Like, that guy took a shot at them, you know? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, uh... Well, at least we got the New York market. <laughs> well, yeah, all the Ohio State fans can watch the Buckeyes out there. Uh, let's get to Ohio State real quick. Um, 
It's that Noah Brown broken leg. Um, we know about the suspensions. A lot of distractions right now with this Buckeye football team on and off the field, trying to keep the focus, trying to keep the motivation, hearing great things about Braxton Miller. We'll see them uh, debut. One of the biggest things that sucked, though, we don't see the Buckeyes play till Monday. That's a long time to wait once college football starts. Uh, you know we'll be jumping at the day. Yeah, it's like a four-day tease that uh, football has done to us. We've got to watch games four straight days with no no Buckeyes. But it'll be all rewarding when we do. Uh, I think it's – I mean, this team's loaded. What more can you say about a team that's been lauded with nothing but praise? Uh, you, like I said earlier, you just hope that they can stay hungry and keep that edge uh, and stay healthy. Those are the only three things that can stop this team. Uh, I really expect big things out of Braxton Miller. I think it's not a novelty type thing. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot this year. And uh, whoever turns out as the quarterback, and I think we're going to see both guys a lot considering the schedule that we have. Uh, You know, there's going to be plenty of time for Cardell, even if he's not the starter or vice versa. And, uh, you know, you got to get by Virginia Tech, and then you got – two or three big games left on the schedule. Uh, so you, you got to just continue to fight off the monotony of some of these lower-class teams and, and be ready and be sharp when it, the time comes to play Michigan State or Michigan on the road or Penn State. Um, as a, the only teams I see on this schedule that could slow us down. Oh, absolutely. That Michigan State's waiting in the wings to come into the horseshoe. And, and uh, also, I know Michigan would love nothing better than to spoil the season. But I think that this 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 schedule, the way it's set up, is a little soft, but it makes the Buckeyes have to be better and it gives the opportunity for young players to prove themselves, especially no, nothing starts better at that Virginia Tech game. Uh, I, a lot of things are being said about Torrance Gibson, so very excited about that. And we're going to see we're, we're going to see Urban Meyer do one of the, another great coaching job of moving some guys in and out and keeping these guys from getting complacent all year long and getting up for some of these smaller games. And I, you know, we we almost lost that Indiana game last year. We you know, so we're playing at Indiana. They don't have Kevin Coleman. Thank God for that. But you know, it's one of those things that a game like that, maybe Maryland, who knows? Um, maybe Penn State. I mean. But I, I think the Minnesota game's a tough one. Uh, we talked about what happened with Illinois, so I don't worry about that in the last two games. I think Ohio State pretty much, it's almost like they got, you know, a preseason schedule as they get ready to defend their title, and I would like nothing else better because they deserve it um, as we get ready to go into another run between the Big Ten Championship and then into the college football playoff. Well, and you hit a big point there. You know, we talked to the big theme through this whole show was how tough people's schedules are. and. Uh, Ohio State for, you know, whether it's some of the bottom feeders of the conference and then the non-conference scheduling and how it worked out, they're in the, you know, around 50 in the country in strength of schedule, where you look at Auburn and Alabama as one and two, and uh, all the top teams play tough schedules, and it just worked out that way. So it's a perfect meeting of talent and uh, the right lineup, and you just hope, like I said, you stay healthy and it's a full go to the national championship. Look for the secondary of Ohio State and the defense to be the bell cow this year. I think that's the biggest thing that propelled them through the run last year to the national championship, and I think that's what they're going to hang their hat on this year. There's a lot of depth there, um, and then there's a lot of elite talent there. So besides Joey Bosa, you've got, you know, Adolphus Washington, 
You got, you know, the linebacking court with uh, Darren Lee, Joshua Perry, and Raekwon McMillan. I mean, you know, uh, and then that, that that secondary to me, your guy, Tybus Powell, Von Bell, Eli Apple, uh, we're, we're just going to see a lot. And then we, we got, uh, you know, the kicker and the punter, Nuremberger, and, you know, Cameron Johnson, the special teams, I think is going to be a big group too. So this Ohio State team is going to be a lot of fun to watch, and you're going to enjoy seeing the Buckeyes go back to uh, – let me say that for next. So, yes, I think Ohio State comes on that other side. And I think, like, once well, again, plus, Paul Chris – so, yeah. Uh, well, plus we have the advantage of playing Pat Narduzzi's defense. So uh, that gives you an, an advantage anytime you're talking about trying to defend a national title. But in seriousness – uh, Raquan McMillan, uh, to me, is the most. I'm the most excited to see his development. I think this kid's going to jump on the scene and be an All-American by the end of the year. And we think Ezekiel Elliott will definitely be in that Heisman conversation. I think we named a lot of running backs this year. I think this is the year the running back comes back in the Heisman, and I think it comes to Columbus, Ohio. Big Ten championship game. I've got no. I mean, don't 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 uh, don't get uh, shook there. But I got the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I got them playing the Wisconsin Badgers. And I've got the same chalk. So let's get into our four final teams for the college football final. Um, we talked about all the conferences. No shocker here. I got Stanford coming out of the Pac-12. I got Oklahoma coming out of the Big 12. I got LSU, a two-loss LSU team representing the SEC, and I got the Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh, no, no, that's not what I got. Oh, this is what I got. I got Ohio State representing – okay, here we go. Let me start over. My college football final, my college football playoff, four teams. I got Stanford representing the Pac-12 coming out of there. I've got – LSU representing the SEC with two losses, getting that final spot. And then I got Michigan State and Ohio State being the number one and number two teams in the country because that's the way it is, and that's because Stone Cold said so. (laughs) And uh, uh, not to steal your thunder, but I I also have Ohio State and Michigan State with Ohio State being the undefeated team out of the Big Ten, uh, getting in the final four. Um, my other conference champs, I have Oregon winning the Pac-12. Uh, I, I think Adams is the perfect type of quarterback for Mark Helfrich, and they uh, they come out of the Pac-12 eventually. Uh, out of the Big 12, I like TCU. I think they uh, have the most complete team. I think that defenses will come around, and that's what Gary Patterson is known for, and uh, they'll be just fine. They, they're known for causing turnovers anyway. Uh, so TCU out of there. The ACC, Georgia Tech, they're going to be left out. SEC, LSU, and my final three, two teams to get in from the three, from four real big conferences, actually. Um, I think Oregon's going to go back in, and I think LSU gets back in. The Big 12 is shut out again. Well, here's no shocker here. I think Ohio State wins it all. I don't care who they got to play anywhere, any given day. The Urban Meyer dynasty is upon us, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the ride. As always, go – no, go ahead. Now you want to pick your final four down to two and one? Rank them. 
Well, I ranked them. I, I think Michigan State and Ohio State are one and two, and I think okay. uh, I think Stanford's three, and I think LSU is four with two losses. So Ohio, Ohio State versus LSU. They get paid back for 2007, you know, exercise the demons, bring Trestle back for the coin toss. Uh, Ohio State wins, and then Ohio State faces Stanford, uh, who gets their payback against Michigan State, and Ohio State beats Stanford for a national championship. Okay, and then I would have Ohio State 1, uh, Oregon 2, LSU 3, Michigan State 4. Um, so it would be Ohio State-Michigan State again, and Ohio State will beat Michigan State. And then it's a rematch against Oregon with the same result. Ohio State stomps the Ducks and wins the national title. Go box. Well, all right, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you listened to the whole thing. I think you knew where we were going with an Ohio bias for a uh, national champion, but I think you enjoyed the journey of how we got there. Uh, enjoy the Labor Day game. Enjoy the start of college football Thursday to Monday. It's going to be a great weekend of college football. And uh, I forgot what I used to say at the end of the college show. You'll be hearing a lot from us all season long. As always, go Bucks! Undisputed national champions, OH. I O. All right. That's enough. I forgot to say Purdue sucks, too. Forgot what? <laughs> say Purdue sucks, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's better that we didn't even acknowledge them. <laughs> That might have been the only major conference team we didn't acknowledge in the whole show. <laughs> if we looked up, well, maybe. <laughs> Purdue and Daryl Hazel as well. I'll just throw that in there. Okay. <laughs> no, don't even acknowledge them as existing. I do think we'll see some upsets, though. That's going to be the fun of college football this year. So. Yeah. And don't count Notre Dame out. I mean, they, they've right, got really. some... I know you, you, just, you, went, you just ranted about somebody that you don't like. I forget who it was. <laughs> I don't. Jerry Pinkle. I don't like. Oh, Mike Jerry Riley. Pinkle. Oh, Mike Riley and Gary Pinkle. Guys, he's such an unassuming nice dude. Like, yeah. Like, I don't, he's a terrible coach, though. <laughs> he recruited the uh, he recruited the uh, brothers, uh, the, the Rogers brothers, Jack Lee's Rogers and the DB man. Yes, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Right, All right, right. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm about to watch this Brown game. I didn't get to see it because of some direct TV snafu last night. So I'm actually going to enjoy it. I was just following along Twitter and seeing a, a live look in. So. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, they. Uh, it was somebody tweeted I don't remember. It was like they were playing for a barge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. Good. It's something to smile about. Thank God, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> seriously. Uh, McCown takes a brutal hit at the end of the first half. He just never saw it coming. It was blindsided, ran under the chair. No, I, saw, I did there. see that. I did see he got that all the way down. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think that kid, right, I was watching this game with a Tampa Bay fan. That kid's a rookie for uh, Tampa Bay that lit him up, I think. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. They got big offensive line issues. Oh, yeah. They're all right, man. James Winston killed. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Later.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.